greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. to the Make Remake Literary License Podcast episode with Keith Shago and co-hosts Vicky Ray and Steve Templeman, discussing the original film and the remake, looking at what was improved upon, where they went wrong, and whether anything lives up to the original. Don't forget to have your say by commenting or sharing links, or just follow us below. Now on with the show! in the stars I just look down and worry about our place in the dirt hate is bad life's too short to be pissed off all the time it's just not worth it life see in this world there's two kinds of people my friend those with loaded guns I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Hello, welcome to the Joyce's Podcast, and we're doing Make Remake. We'll be covering Dawn of the Dead from 1978 and Zack Snyder's 2004. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. We got C. Derek Miller with us. Hello, Chad. What's going on, guys? How you been? Oh, been hanging in there. <laughs> Everybody hanging in there. And we got Joe Randazzo with us. Hello, Joe. Hello, everyone. And Vicky Ray. Hello, Vicky. Hi, everybody. And I'm your host, Keith Shaw. And before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to. And we'll start off with you, Chad. What have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? We are knee-deep in the middle of season three of the American Justice podcast. Um I've been taking kind of a kind of a bit of a horror break, a kind of a writing break for uh, a year or so now, just concentrating on true crime. We actually had one of our cases make it to uh, an episode of ABC's 2020. I've been watching that. I've been following. Very good. I, I got my I got my five seconds of fame on national TV. My chubby ass walking around oh, Austin. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been really good. Uh, there's also a special coming out on the Sundance Channel that they just finished recording on the same case, and uh, it just it's taken off. Has it's anybody really gotten off. any closure yet? No, and they uh, they won't until uh, until we can get this guy out of jail. They there won't there won't be any closure until we can get this guy. If, if anybody's wondering what I'm talking about, if you don't follow the American Justice podcast. I'm um, talking about the uh, the 2005 double homicide case from uh, Rockwall County, Texas, for Brandon Woodruff. Google that, find out all about it. Go to AmericanJusticePodcast.com, find out more. But there there won't be any closure until um, it's you know we, we get a, a retrial there, and and somebody confesses 
to uh, to the actual murder because the, as far as we're concerned and as far as as far as uh, a lot of our listeners are concerned, the the real killer and or killers are still running around free out there. So that's always comforting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's good to know, especially especially when uh, they're all pissed off at you for making podcasts about them and getting on national television and. I'm it, sure it doesn't, the, faux, the faux pause of the police activity too isn't getting right. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. They're they're not they're not big fans of ours. Uh, although uh, the documentary film that the podcast producer and director has made is actually they're having a screening tomorrow night in Greenville, Texas. Cue the music, baby. Cue those banjos in Greenville, Texas right across the street from the courthouse at the Texan theater. So I'm so glad uh, that place is still open. It's, it's beautiful. It's so beautiful. It, it really is. But that's what I've been up to. True, true crime, true crime podcast. And go uh, wrong with true crime. Nas- national television exposure for five seconds. <laughs> so. Hey, you did it though, didn't you? <laughs> Be proud of your accomplishment. I am. I truly am. You guys have really gone the extra mile for this guy. So I've been following. Excellent well, job. It's really nice to hear. It's really nice to hear when people say that. Thank you. Yep. Good work, man. And what about yourself, Joe? What have you been up to? Um, well, uh, Vicky mentioned in one of our, one of our texts that she had been watching uh, the offer on Paramount Plus, And in the last week, I finally knuckled down and went and, uh, Went into it. I'm all caught up. I watched all nine episodes in like the the span. Oh wait, there's one episode came out Friday. I haven't watched that one yet. Yeah, that's that. I'm caught up. I saw the last one. Man, it is so 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 good. Oh my god, I did not know that that was a real horse's head until I I watched the show. I I had no clue. I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not because it feels like there's a lot of stuff on that show. In I Bella's looked it show. up and it was. They got it from a slaughterhouse. That oh, was. Really? I was wondering how they got the dead horse's eyes, the Godfather, you know, where the guys rolling back the, the bed. How they got him to look so really cool, dead, like they were actually a dead horse. Yeah, it was a dead horse. <laughs> the the thing that the thing that Data. struck me about the show. The thing that struck me about the show, watching it with my roommate, is I kept turning around every every couple minutes, going, "Oh, oh, Robert Town, you know, who, you know who gave him his start, right? Roger Corman. Hey, Francis Ford Coppola, you know who gave him his start, right? Roger Corman. Oh, Jack Nichols, that's a Roger Corman guy. Peter yeah. Bogdanovich, Corman. And I'm like, his fucking specter looms over this whole thing, and I I love it so much because uh, when really we did very um, good. When we did, uh, what was it? We did Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah. When we, I, I spent like 20 minutes just ranting about my love for Roger Corman and how much he gave cinema. And in this show, you're never going to hear his name. But you but know. When you, but when you think about all these people who were, who were like the key players at Paramount at that time, Roger Corman was the guy who got, who got all of them their start. So it's, it's kind of cool in a way to see that. I looked up Mario Puzo and Francis Ford Coppola, and they were like an old married couple when they were writing this dress. <laughs> I, I didn't know about any of this, and then I had to go out and look it up because it was so funny watching them, you know, eat and talk about their ham sandwiches. <laughs> there's, there's, a, there's a quote attributed to Mario Puzo, and I don't, I don't know if it's real or not. Uh, supposedly, um, since Coppola... And supposedly Robert Town also may have done some ghostwriting on uh, on the on the Godfather. I don't know if that's true or not either. Um, but apparently he was um, 
he wanted to learn more about writing a screenplay on on his own. So he went and bought a book on screenwriting. And right at the beginning, it tells it. it uh, he says that the that the book said to go study the Godfather screenplay. So I, I thought that was, I don't know if that if that story is actually true or not. I think it's kind of funny, and I see people post it all the time. It's like I'll break all the rules. Like, at the same time, though, Mario Puzo was working with Francis Ford Coppola, who just won the Oscar the previous year for Patton, and supposedly Robert Town. So. Yes, Mario Puzo's first screenplay won best one best screenplay, but he was also helped out by two of the greatest of all time. (laughs) Nobody has that on their first script. Nobody has the previous year's Oscar winner guiding them through it. Just amazing, all the hell because they did go through a lot of shit with the Italian American people. The mafia did not want this movie coming out, and it just I just love how they scripted everything, whether they took some artistic license or not. You know, it's excellent series. I cannot suggest it more. It is so good. And the final episode airs next Thursday. So really, if you, you want to binge it in a couple of days. Uh, you, it's you worth can binge it. binge it in a couple of days and then, yeah, catch episode 10 next week. The acting is just outstanding, too. The guy who plays Al Pacino is spot on. Looks like him and sounds No, like right him. down to the eyes. That was creepy weird. I thought that they CGI'd Al Pacino in there for a few <laughs> minutes because it looks just like him. Yeah, yeah. It is, it is really, really good, guys. If you get a chance, definitely check it out. That's, uh, that's, that's, Basically, what I've done this week is, is I've, I've been watching that. And Dawn of the Dead, of course. But we'll Dawn get to that. Yeah. That's a given. And what about yourself, Dix? What have you been up to? Well, of course, I watched Dawn of the Dead. Um, not doing much around the house. It's just been so damn hot. But um, I, got a finally, I finally finished watching Candyman. I was telling the guys, um, the new one. I didn't realize that it was a sequel, which made it more interesting. And I didn't think I was going to like it because of all the the themes in there kind of divisive a little bit, but I still enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was a great film. Honestly, I didn't think I was going to like it. I don't really like sequels or the second whatever, but this one really had quite a good story behind it. So I suggest that one. And when I was watching, Oh, um, I watched, (laughs) I was watching Joe Bob last Friday and I think his, one of my favorite rants on Joe Bob, he, he totally <laughs> took off on a massive rant on the pharmaceutical company. And I could not stop laughing. Did you see it, Joe? I did see it. I saw, I saw when it aired. It was. It, I it could was not hilarious. stop laughing because it made perfect sense. And it was just funny as hell. You know how he words everything? Like, you're all fucking stupid. You know how he talks to everybody? But it was great. And I, I finally got a chance to finish watching Monster Club and, and Hellbender, and I love both those movies. But um, I, I took it, I was taking all side, whatever, segue for more, and I started watching Brother Where Art Thou the other day ago, and I could not stop <laughs> laughing. That movie is just funny as hell. The, the Monster Club actually is, um, I, I love that movie. I, I love that movie, I'm yeah. I'm a hardcore I, fan of it. I, I have, like, original theater It's kind of, you know, if you, it's kind of like, I guess maybe my kids probably say, oh, that's just weird. You know how they put yeah. the interject the music and stuff. The music's the best part of some of it. You know, it has the little whatever in between the stories. They have a different band playing. Did so you, you catch the, huh? uh, the the background music uh, when Vincent Price and John Carradine are talking? Yeah. That's UB forty. Yeah, and then they uh, oh, what's she? What is it? There was another band in there too. I cannot remember what it was now. 
I mean, it was, it was, it's a fun little movie. I, it's I'm, a fun I'm, movie. It's a lot I'm of fun. I'm glad that people are finally finally coming around to that because I it's the first horror movie I ever saw because I used to rent it all the time on VHS as a kid uh, because I'd walk into the video store and there's this post the, you know the, the front cover is all these like colorful monster faces with Elvira next to it because she's hosting the video so I was like crazy about that movie I used to rent it all the time and um, actually when uh, when Keith asked us what we wanted to do as our um, uh, you know, the, the different franchises, I, I chose the uh, the Amicus horror films, and that's one of the last, well, it's it's after Amicus already split up, but it was, it's, uh, I guess, considered canon. Oh, that's right, because they, they started doing films when um, the Hammer films just were no more, and they picked up the the, the, the gauntlet, didn't they? They, they were well, there well, towards the Amicus end of Hammer. Is mainly, they were mainly um, anthology films. Yeah, mainly. Uh, there, there's mainly. some like the Deadly Bees and um, God, Man, what else? The Skull. The Deadly Bees. The Skull was it, the Skull. I love the Skull. How did I forget that one? Uh, yeah. There, there were a few that weren't, but yeah, um, I, I really want, uh, I really want to cover the uh, the Amicus anthology. Yeah, that would be uh, good. I, I, like, I feel like they don't get enough respect. Neither does Attack of the Killer Shrews. It's a totally <laughs> underappreciated movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's another Corman, isn't it? Or Corman produced it? I, have, I think it is. I can't remember right off the end. But I watched this movie with Emma Watson and Ethan Hawke called Regression. Kind of a sleeper movie, but it's a nice little thriller. If you want, if you need one with a really, it's about satanic killings. Totally up everybody's alley. So, so it's so it's definitely more recent with that cast. Twenty sixteen, <laughs> I believe. No, check it out. Yeah, it's a good movie. I think it was, uh, I can't remember if it was on TV or what it was. It had commercials, so it had to be TV. But I'll throw, I'll throw that, it on the, on the watch list on Letterboxd. And it'll, other than that, we're just getting ready for the heat. And what about you, Keith? Um, well, I've been notified that the TED Talk that I gave last week will be out on the 19th of September. What's that? So the TED Talk I gave um, two weekends ago will be out. It will be edited and out on the 19th awesome. of September. Oh, I didn't even know you were doing one. What's the uh, subject? Um, how we die. Basically taking um, cinematic deaths and comparing it to what really happens to your body when you get stabbed, bludgeoned, beheaded, and stuff like that. Using Perfect. Using more criminology side of things. <laughs> I'll have to it. review it. We got to do a review. We, we got to do it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So basically, or, uh, treat it like mystery yeah. science theater. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can all have our heads like this, you know? Or so we so did it with... Um, but we did it with CGI. We got CGI. Basically, we go into the um, the anatomy of basically what happens because no one dies within five minutes from a stab wound and stuff like this. It's about, uh, you know, like if you get stabbed, about how long it takes you to bleed out, what happens to your body and all the other stuff that happens to you. So, and then, you know, so basically, you know, we had to get the film rights and we got the film rights to show some famous killings and movies and stuff. And then we, you know, I got the CGI side of it going. So, yeah, so that'll yeah, so it's all being edited by Anna Napoli, who edits um, Dario Gentle films. She edited Sleepless and Tears. Oh, yeah, you told like me that. that. That's very so cool. It's, yeah, so it's in Italy at the moment being edited. So I can't wait. And then outside of that, I've been taught, I was asked to teach a criminology class at Cambridge in September, which I'll be covering cannibalism 
and basically how cannibals have grown within our society in Europe. How do you and, keep getting all these fantastic and, subjects? And why you my, all my, of a sudden? My, my, my agent's whoring me out at the moment. Oh, no, her again. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm teaching that. Basically, um, it's, I'm going to take a spin about how vampirism and where the vampire lore comes from. It comes from cannibalism from the 1500s and also the werewolf lores and stuff like that, and bringing that together. So I'm doing a lot of research on that and getting that together. But that'll be a, a four-week course um, in Cambridge under criminology course, which will start from the second week of September and goes to the first week of October. So we go up there one day a week and keep that. Awesome. And it's, it's being funded by the Royal Free NHS Trust as well. So that's quite good. So Very cool, Keith. You're always oh, doing something. Yeah, hopefully it won't bring me uh, many more. Oh, and... Um, I've just got a release date for Fallout London will be out in March 2023. So, so, so I'll be doing some press for that. So you were writing on that one too? Yeah. Oh wow. Congrats. Yeah, I've been doing a lot of dialogue for computer games at the moment. Makes good money, it's quick. Except four years later when they ask you to do like, oh, can you use some press for it? You're like, oh, I don't kind of remember what I bloody wrote. <laughs> That's like it's the dialogue. But anyway, so yeah, that'll be on March um, now. So that's, that's the next game. So, but you know, those who are interested, Back for Blood's still available on Xbox, PlayStation, and now going to Switch next month. So, going to what? Going to Switch. Nintendo Switch. Should be on there um, starting next month, I believe. He's like, so. Twitch is on the up and coming. Yes, it is. Well, it's taking the it's taking the place of the Wii, hasn't it? So it's more of a family right. answer. All the all the Wii games are coming out. There. The bowling's out on Switch, and all the Wii sports stuff is now coming out on Switch. So it's, it looks like it's going to be the new family platform now. So very cool. I never touch it. I, I have I have one, and I I never play it. <laughs> I, uh, I used to play when people came around, and that was it. I never played it when no one else is around. You know, people the around Wii? Like, you want is it a Wii? That's, <laughs> yeah, that's a, Wii. Oh, wait, yeah, we got a, we have a Switch. I never play it. We have an Oculus Quest oh. Two. I never play it. Uh, I, I've I've got like a I've got an I arcade cabinet though, and I wear that thing out. I would too. I would too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, Microsoft I'm, sent me the new Xbox X series, so I got that now. So it was quite nice. So. But, oh, my see, I'm just playing the same games I wasn't before. I'm just getting them in a 4K definition now, so it's not like I'm playing anything new. Yeah, that, that was the big selling point for my roommate is that it upscales everything to 4K. Yeah. Uh, he uses it it's on for apps and stuff like that for like Netflix and Amazon Prime and all the apps are there. And I actually upscaled them as well, so that's quite good. Yeah, we, we use it as like our main Blu-ray player at this point. We just put in whatever Blu-ray or DVD and it does upscale it, so it looks really, really nice. Mm-hmm. It'll save you buying um, 4K discs, so. Yeah. <laughs> Which are expensive as fuck. Well, I bought like the 4K it. disc to Demon, Demons and Demons 2. And um, and then, plus it comes with the Blu-ray. So I put the Blu-ray in and compared it to the 4K one. Going through Can you the, see um, everything like you're always saying? Well, you, to be honest, you can't see any difference because once the blue scale gets up, up upscaled to the 4K, it looks the same as the 4K disc. So it's kind of like, oh, okay. gotcha! Okay. <laughs> my uh, my roommate bought the Norseman on Blu-ray, and uh, it comes with the uh, with the DVD and the digital copy, and it was like ten bucks less than the 4K. When he uh, redeemed the digital copy, the digital copy's in 4K, so he's like, "Well, why the hell do I need to buy a 4K 
uh, a 4K Blu-ray of anything when the version that comes with it, if you have a, a player that can play 4K, upscales it to 4K anyway. So he's like, now he's just buying the Blu-rays. And, yeah, the digital copy will be 4K, and I'm fine with that. Yeah, best thing to do is get a way to save money. Especially yeah. if we're at the, the high cost of living here that we're currently in. So. Yeah, I've, well, I mean, I've, I've stopped buying physical medium, though. Like, I, I have a Voodoo account with like 600 different movies on it and they're all in UHD and uh, I, I've I've separate times in my life. I've had huge movie collections and then I end up screwing up a relationship and <laughs> I have to split it down the middle. So this, this time I can take it with me. It's great. Let's hope there's no well, this time. And, and I hope there's no this time too. Save so much storage space as well. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, like I know, like you know, I, I pull out the stuff for, like I'm pulling out the stuff for next season now, just so I can have it all available. And I'm just like, you know, I have to drag everything out and find it. <laughs> it's just like it's a bit of a pain, but but yeah. you do run into distribution about problems. For distribution physical- problems, like for Dawn of the Dead, 1978, no streaming anywhere in the United I found States. Found it on YouTube. Yeah, I found it. I found. I mean, I, this is this is jumping the fence a little bit. I know we're not quite there yet, but uh, I, the the version I saw was on YouTube, and it was like a two and a half hour long complete cut. Yep, that's the yeah. one I watched. Um, the the thing the thing about I buy older movies on physical media stuff that is harder to find on streaming because I I realized I pre ordered uh, the Batman a couple a couple of months ago and then I'm like why the fuck am I buying this on Blu-ray when it's always going to be on HBO Max right. it's yeah. never going to go away older movies yeah some of those might yeah. disappear but all the stuff I that's did. being made now it's never going to disappear. It's always going to be there. It's Unless, really hard to get the, like the old Dracula movies and Boris Karloff stuff. And no, Earth it's not. No, well, no, uh, but they want you to pay for it. I mean, they just don't stream that shit anymore. Oh, you no, look- oh, not the stream, but but you can get it. I mean, on through Amazon, you can get the Dracula Universal set, and that's only like twenty quid for the Blu-ray set. In this yeah, it's, 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 you, it's like get, 20 bucks you'll get all the monkey. Dracula movies, 20 bucks you'll get all the Wolfman movies, 20 bucks you'll get all the Frankenstein mm-hmm. movies. I all the, the great documentaries with them and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, that's, only, true. that's That's the great thing about, um, I mean, I, that's one good thing about buying buying it physical, that the documentaries that you get with it, you don't sometimes get it streaming sometimes. So. Especially I, the I little, do the same thing as you do. I buy the older culty stuff on Blu-ray. Yeah, I mean, that, that's that's what I, or the, the old Warner Gangster movies, the old Universal Monsters, like various cult movies, uh, you know, a, a lot of Lane stuff. Films. Yeah. Uh, Arrow, um, Vinegar Syndrome, uh, Kino Lorber. I get a lot of that stuff. I don't buy a lot of the major studio stuff anymore because what's the point? It's never going to go anywhere. It's always going to be there. Yeah, there's a lot of the Harvey Weinstein stuff though that's like tied up in uh, like uh, distribution rights. Uh, like a lot, uh, some of Kevin Smith stuff, like Red State, you can't find anywhere. Uh, Dogma, you can't find anywhere. You're beating me to the punch. Those are the two. I think those are the only two. Yeah, I think those are. <laughs> Yeah, those are the only two because Yoga Hosers just recently came out on streaming, and uh, so did Tusk. So Tusk. I think that movie just deeply disturbed me, for some <laughs> and I don't know why it just bothered me. Well, I mean, I can watch I watch other stuff that's much more nastier. Like was it that the, well, the that yeah, one we Tusk did with the, the eyeballs? But Tusk is an A twenty four film. Yeah, so of course, that's why. That explains I, everything. Yeah, I Red, Red State seeing, and Dogma were Harvey's. 
I remember seeing it in the uh, seeing it in the theater with a Q and A by Kevin Smith afterwards in L.A. And immediately, the first thing he says when he comes out, he goes, "If you guys think this is the greatest movie ever made, I'm going to agree with you. If you guys think this is the dumbest shit you've ever seen, I'm going to agree with you because I don't even know what it is. This is, this is the <laughs> best movie I've it ever was made. Just it's weird. The dumbest I mean, movie I've ever made. <laughs> I thought it was going to be something completely different, and then I got into the, the meat of the movie, and it's just like the ending. Just I hated the ending." It's just yeah. like there was no closure for me. I always have to have closure. <laughs> if I don't get yeah, closure, that, that, I that is an a that is an a twenty four establishment for their film productions anyway. I mean, yeah, like Hereditary and Midsummer and um, Bodies, 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 which will be coming yeah. Up soon. They never have a nice ending. There's definitely. no happy ending with that. I, I haven't seen Hereditary yet. I, I it was um it was on Blu-ray for five bucks at Target. So I picked it up and it's just like sitting there and I'm like, I really should see it. Everybody tells me it's amazing. And I've not watched it. You either love, love it. it or you hate it. That's what I, that's the, that, that's just what I've come down to, you know, see, I mean, I liked it. Uh, I'm a fan of it. So Yeah. Well, this brings us to Dawn of the Dead, which is a 1978 zombie horror film written, directed, and edited by George A. Romero and produced by Richard P. Rubenstein. An American-Italian international co-production is the second film in Romero's series of zombie films, and though it contains no characters or settings for the preceding film Night of the Living Dead from 1968, it shows the larger-scale effects of a zombie apocalypse on society. In the film, a phenomenon of unidentified origin has caused the reanimation of the dead who prey on human flesh. Sorry, (laughs) people, I'm fucking this over. David Eads, Ken Foray, Scott Renger, and Galen Ross Starred survivors of the outbreak who barricade themselves inside the suburban shopping mall amid mass hysteria. Romero wanted to make another zombie film after Night of the Living Dead for several years to avoid being stereotyped as a horror director. Upon visiting Monroe Mall in Monroe, Pennsylvania, with a friend whose company managed the complex, he decided to use location as the basis for the film's story. The project came to the attention of Italian filmmaker Dario Argento, who, along with his brother Claudio and producer Alfredo Cuomo, agreed to co-finance the film in exchange for its international distribution rights. Argento also constructed with Romero during the script-writing phase. Principal photography and Don the Dead took place between November 1977 and February 1978 on location in Mon- Monroeville and Pittsburgh. The special makeup effects were created by Tom Savini, whose work on the fa- film led to an extensive career, creating similar effects for other horror films, such as Friday the 13th, and post-production Romero and Argento, and edited separate versions of the film for their respective markets. Argento's version features a progressive rock store composed and performed by his frequent collaborators, Goblin, while Romero's cut primarily favors stock cues from the New Wolf Music Library. The film would premiere September 1st, 1978, initially first, and then they'll follow down with the other markets. The censorship board did have problems with this, um, giving it an X rating, uh, but the Britons loved the film, and although it did bring it to the video's Nasty's moral panic, which would happen, and the film would be banned for 12 years. Um, it was a major success at the box office, grossing $66 million worldwide against its estimated budget of $640,000, noted for its satir- satirical portrayal of consumerism. Dawn of the Dead has received widespread critical acclaim. So what we're going to do is cut to the trailer of Dawn of the Dead from 1978, and we'll be right back. <laughs> 1968, George Romero brought us Night of the Living Dead. 
it became the classic horror film of its time. Not that room! Not that room! Now, George Romero brings us the most intensely shocking motion picture experience for all times. It gets up and kills. The people it kills get up and kill. This situation must be controlled before it's too late. They are multiplying too rapidly. Dawn of the dead. Meet me on the roof at nine o'clock. Get out. I don't believe We're it. We're going to get out in the chopper. We've got to survive. Somebody's got to survive. They kill for one reason. They kill for food. They eat their victims. Imagine, if you will, that something has gone terribly wrong. Shoot it, man. Now, accept the fact that there's no escaping the horrible consequences. George Romero brings back the dead. Night of the Living Dead has ended. Dawn of the Dead is here. We must not be lulled by the concept that these are our family members or our friends. They are not. They will not respond to such emotions. Operator dead. Post abandoned. You may never get out of the room. It's everywhere. What the hell is it? Looks like a shopping center. One of those big indoor malls. What are they doing? Why do they come here? Some kind of instinct, memory, what they used to do. This was an important place in their lives. We've got a war. I'm afraid. We have spawned our own savagery. Soon, it will consume us all. It is a horrible, hauntingly accurate vision of the mindless excesses of a society gone mad. We are down to the line, folks. We are down to the line. Dawn of the Dead. Hello, welcome back to Richard Lyons' podcast. We discussed Dawn of the Dead from 1978. And we'll start with you, Chad. What are your thoughts of Dawn of the Dead from 1978? You know, I've got two really cool memories of Dawn of the Dead. Uh, first of all, as a little kid, I remember, you know, this is back before anybody I knew owned a VCR. We used to go to the rental store and rent VCRs. They were in like these crazy, heavy, hard cases where you couldn't like break into them, you know. Um, but we would rent VCRs on the weekend. It was like a big deal. Um, yes, it was. It, it really was a big deal. And this this is one of the movies that I remember my mom renting for the really fir- for the very first time, and. I wasn't, I wasn't into horror, so to, uh, like, like I am now as a, as a kid. My mom let me watch whatever I wanted on TV. Of course, she didn't care, but I, I, I didn't care for horror all that much. I don't think it was until I finally sat down and watched American Werewolf in London for the very first time that I just became a horror freak. But I remember Dawn of the Dead, and I remember her calling me from my bedroom, going, "Oh my God, you got to see this! You got to see this!" And it's the scene where they're in the mall. And they turn on the lights, the music, the everything, and the yeah. zombies are all falling over. And I just remember being a little kid and laughing my ass off at that. But I had never, I've never seen the entire film. I had just seen that part over and over because I'd rewind it and play it, rewind it and play it. 
that's all I knew of Dawn of the Dead until this past week. And then, of course, I said I had issues tracking it down on streaming. YouTube saved that. So thank you, YouTube. The other thing is Tom Savini, yeah. who I've, I've worshipped from a very young age. And they say you're nuts. You never meet your heroes. Uh, I actually had a table of uh, a few rows down from Tom Savini at Texas Frightmare oh. Weekend a few years ago. And uh, he, he and I didn't see eye to eye about a lot of things. Uh, he wouldn't let, he wouldn't let me uh, like he, he was at my table looking at books. I gave him a beer and he still wouldn't let me take his picture unless I paid him for it. So, really? <laughs> really? Really? I'm like, come on, Tom. Come on, man. Come on. I'll, I'll give you a book. I'll give you a beer. Come on. Let me t- take a picture with me. Nope, 30 bucks. Come on, I'm a broke I'm a broke ass author, man. <laughs> Come on. 30 bucks. Really? Is that's, that's, a, that's I didn't know he did something like that. I can eat for a week there, on 30 bucks, there man. Are, Come on. There are quite a there are quite a few people who are like that actually. So <laughs> Yeah, but the only time I meet people like that, they're like poor beggars in third world countries, and they're supposed to give them 20 bucks for their picture. (laughs) I've heard stories about Savini being all about the money and nothing else. That's sad. That's the first I've ever heard of that. Yeah, and I mean, I even use the line, I'm uh, like, come on, sex machine, and he's still (laughs) the dawn of the deadline. I mean, not Dawn of the Deadline. The, uh, 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 from Dust Till Dawn. From Dust Till Dawn. Line, I love yeah. that movie too. And he still, he still, he would not budge off that thirty dollars for a photograph, even after I gave the guy a beer. He would what not do with your thirty I mean, bucks. Considering that, I mean, he hasn't worked for quite a long time, so maybe he really needs the money. Because I, I mean, he won't. He, he wouldn't get residuals or anything. Because you just, I mean, when you're when you're doing special effects or makeup, you just get the flat rate. That's all you're getting. And He's got his school, and he's you know, yeah. he, so he's probably making decent money off of that. A lot of a lot of kids that went to his school are coming out of it now. He did uh, he did the masks for some WWE wrestlers recently too. Yeah. Oh, but, oh I did yeah. hear that. I, I don't remember who it was, but yeah, I remember seeing on the news uh, seeing a news article that uh, uh, a couple of wrestlers in WWE had masks that were designed by Tom Savini. So I was like, he's he's got them. So I yeah. know it is rumored that the documentary that's on shut out his career, he charged them to film a documentary. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, right. Which documentary is that? The one on Shutter. Um, the one on Shutter. They had a documentary about Tom Savini and his craft and his life. And um, I, I watched that. He, they paid him for that. They, it is rumored that basically um, this film crew wanted to do a documentary about him, and he charged them. To do a documentary about him. Well, maybe the rumor's true. true, You know what? If they're willing, I don't have any. I don't have anything against taking a chance and asking people to to pay you. But and if they're going to do it, what the hell? They'll do it. You know. Yeah, Yeah. he did. He had some uh, Friday the Thirteenth documentaries that he did about four or five years ago too. That's where he kind of popped up in the public again. And then uh, now he's he's faded off into obscurity. Con. Uh, convention obscurity once again. Well, uh, I mean, I Joe Bob Briggs brings him on every so often. I mean, he gets they couple. brought him in for uh, mania for a fee, probably yeah. <laughs> for, for <fee>. what <laughs> for a fee, yeah, for a nominal <laughs> fee. Yes, I mean, he's he's a god, he's a god in the industry. I, I won't, I won't yeah, deny yeah. that, man. Just oh, broke my heart though, just just broke that my heart. And it was good beer, too. <laughs> it, it was, was good beer. Bro- 
Also, logistically, I think he lives in Pennsylvania, and Joe Bob films in Newark, New Jersey. So, right. I guess, logistically, it's probably really easy to just bring him in. You know, send yeah. the car to pick drive. Up the PA. I thought it was it Maniac. He was on for it. Yeah, it was Maniac. It was Maniac because they had him on. They had Lustig on. Okay, okay, you're right. Um, well, whenever I think of Tom Savini, all I think is Betsy Palmer. Um, <laughs> She's, she's sitting there talking, and um, and Tom Savini goes up to her. He goes, um, "We got your son here." She goes, "What son?" She goes, "Oh, Jason." She goes, "Oh, he's dead, isn't he?" She goes, "No, no, he, you know, we're going to see him coming back." And she went, "Oh, okay." And she he shows her this um the mask of um the, the Jason. She goes, "When did my son become a mongoloid?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. Because they went that? from the they went from the cloth mask to the other. No, no, this is at the, at the end, you know, where he oh, jumped, okay. this is the first movie so he where he comes out. out of the lake. And, and she, she's like, that's oh, not okay, the script. okay. She goes, this is not the script. She goes, when, when did he become a manga boy? When did this happen? <laughs> <laughs> so, so funny. I mean, um, God bless her soul. I mean, she's passed now. But if you, got, if you watch um, Crystal Lake Mem- Memories, which is a great DVD on set on there, they, they kind of go into that. But it was Memories of Crystal Lake, yeah. Yeah. But uh, your overall thoughts of the film, then, um, Chad? I mean, you know, they they say it's one of the best, and uh, I I can't I can't, you know, I can't argue with that. Uh, I I enjoyed every damn minute of it. I I laughed. Uh, I I really dug like the the limited, uh, spe- like just the, the limited ability with the, with the special effects. You know, there's the limited technology and just. Just how how good it all looked. I mean, of course, you know it's it's a nineteen seventy eight film, and you're 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 in your mind you're pointing out, okay, that's cheesy, that's cheesy. This is, but still, I mean, nineteen seventy eight. Yeah, on. exactly. I mean, just the 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 blood, the the body parts, the 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 gunshots, everything. I mean, it's the carnage. Yes, it's it's so so great. I can see I can see why it. Uh, it got banned for a few years, you know. Back well, in there was he fought hard to keep it off an X rating because they they he did not X rating, you know. Back then they equivocated with you know sexual, you know, movies, and yeah. he fought really hard for it. But in Tom Savini's um, uh, defense, he made the sure that they had the real blue whatever because during Dawn of the or, uh, Night of the Living Dead, you couldn't see the makeup, so he wanted right. to make everybody saw the blue makeup in this one so i mean the movie had a pie fight in it i mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> how does how many times you see that in a horror film you know never never so, so you're saying you didn't see the full movie until this week for this podcast yes yes wow. yes as as, as a child just... all all i ever saw all i all i ever saw over and over again was everybody tripping all over themselves, the escalator, the ice rink, the, the everywhere, all in the mall with the music playing. And then I, I remember being brought into the living room for her to show me like the rednecks that are camped out in the field and drinking beer right. and shooting them too. I, those, those are the parts that I remember as a child. Was I this went like one of the first movies they used a mall for a setting. Is this where like people started using, you know, I noticed, I mean, well, this mall, is, malls this, are, I mean, malls are quite a new thing at that time. I mean, the late 70s is when they... I right. Mean, I was just wondering, is this the first movie to use a mall for setting in a horror Yeah, and, and this is what all malls look like now. So it's, yeah. it's great. 
is uh, wall still a culture thing in America? Because I mean, not they're really. Dying. They're but dying here now. So. They're dying here too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Malls are dying couple, here. There's a couple in Dallas that are uh, that are owned by a couple of wealthy families. And, Stonebriar and they, in Frisco still yeah. Still kicking uh, it. North Park Mall in Dallas is still owned by it. one of the big art families in Dallas, and they they display a lot of their art in that mall. Yeah. So it's like a dual purpose. But it has more like higher end stores as well. It's right, right there at the edge of Highland Park. I can't and, afford it. I go in just to look. <laughs> hey, it's it's got a Panda Express and a Seas candy. That's, all That's I like know, all yeah. I go there for. <laughs> I I mean, as far as this movie, I think it's uh, it's it's I, I think it's the best zombie movie ever made. Um, just straight up, so that's that's immediately going to spoil what I think of the second one because I don't think the second one's even even well, comparison. I mean, this one is like chaos right from the get go. I mean, the apocalypse has already started. You got all these news crews and stuff trying to give out valid information, yeah. and there's so much gore and everything else. You got very little theater of mind, you know. Like we always say, you know, the less you see, the better the monster. You know, it's also it also has a lot of character development in it too. Which yes. Is- uh, this this has I know so much more about these characters watching the 1978 film than you know I do the next one we're going to discuss because you know we'll we'll, we'll we'll go there when we go there but the people it kills get up and kills yeah it's this had this had a lot of character development in it you knew you knew you knew a whole lot of things ab- about every single character in this movie you know with the exception of the biker mob. <laughs> you know, uh, but, but all the all the main characters, you you knew who they were, why they were there, where they came from, uh, and, and maybe this is maybe I need to go back and look at a theatrical cut now because I I've seen the crazy ultimate two and a half hour long cut. I don't know how much of that was stuff that wasn't originally in the theatrical version. The original theatrical version is two hours and seven minutes, so you're seeing about twenty three minutes more. Than um, than what was released in theaters, um, and and actually, yeah, I think that was the version uh, that might have been the version Vicky sent us. Um, yeah, that basically, I think that t- that that one takes like all the footage from all the different versions, and just kind of jams them all together. Yeah, it does, which is really cool because there's like four different release versions of this movie. There's yeah. the theatrical cut, the director's cut, uh, Argento's version for Europe, and uh, the uh, there's another version in the United States. I don't remember what the last one was. Uh, there's another. There's another one in Europe now called the Ken, the 2021 Ken's cut. Ken's film mm-hmm. cut. Didn't even I know saw. that existed. And that was two. That, that was two hours and forty minutes. So I, that's the one I watched. What's wow. What's on that one? It's not on the other versions. It's more gore and more talking. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's it's cans. It's it's cans. Like nobody has nobody has their armpits shaved. All right. Uh, it's. <laughs> Don't even get me started on that. It is. I mean, um, I've seen all the versions, and it's really. Hard. I mean, to be honest, it's really kind of hard to differentiate what version you're watching anyway, because there's not there's, the cuts are just so. I mean, the, there's no changing of a story. It's not changing the no. character one way or another. It's just kind of a little bit more whatever. But my uh, my ex girlfriend about 15 years ago. Uh, for one of my birthdays, bought me the, uh, the 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 huge thick DVD box set of it, and it's got uh, it's got all the different versions on it—a comic book, uh, the oh, the Roy Frumke's documentary, Document of the Dead, I think, is on there too. Which, if any of you guys love this movie and haven't seen that, that is a, that is a fantastic 
full-length documentary that was shot while the movie was being made. Um, but yeah, this movie's just it's it's iconic. It's so it's so great, and I think it's as as this subgenre of movies go. I think it's the I, it's rare that a sequel is better than the original. This one, I uh, I think this one definitely is. It's I think it's the best zombie movie ever made because it's just it's there's nothing in it that like 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 Chad said watching it for the first time uh, when he watched it for the first time this week I I've seen it a bunch of times and I'm sitting there the entire time this is like my probably like tenth eleventh viewing of the movie and I'm still sitting there still watching it closely it, it's just it's just that good um and it, it's rare to see a, to see a zombie movie that good that just on this level it's a completely different level yeah I mean, I put, ha- put yourself I sit- I'm sorry, I'm sorry. go ahead Keith no go ahead I have to there's I'm gonna play devil's advocate and when I first saw this movie I watched um me and these I used to like when I was in college I used to hang out with these teenage girls and I used to like corrupt them and we and we watched we rented Night of the Living Dead this and Day of the Dead and we watched all three of them and I loved them um and you know I but I find that I'm always I I'm always I always get a bit bored with Dawn of the Dead after a while. I don't know what it is. I, I think it's some of the acting is. I mean, I think it's because some of the characters I don't like. I think what I have a problem with. I like the blonde hair guy a lot. I like his character, but once he turns into a zombie, I kind of like I kind of lose a little bit of interest in the rest of the characters because I think the woman is like okay, she annoys me. Ken, Ken Ferrer's character is fine, and the the pilot guy is like, God, I wish they killed him off at the beginning. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I but the thing is, it's quite funny because, but I do have a love of this film. I mean, it, it's in you know, it's in you know, my horror you know favorites really. But I really have a hard time, you know. I mean, I rewatched it for here, but I, I, when I go, oh, I'll, I'll should watch the Dead series, and it's like I watch Night of the Living Dead, and I really enjoy that every time I watch that. Right. But then when I got to this, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and then I have, to, I have to force myself to it. And afterwards, I go, okay, I forced myself to watch this. Now, where's Day of the Dead? I like Day of the Dead a lot better. And I think, I don't, and I don't know, I, I know it's all personal taste, stuff like that, but I still admire Dawning the Dead. <laughs> this is one of these weird things. I admire it. I respect it. But I really don't enjoy watching it for some reason. I've always get, I've always been bored. I find myself like picking up my phone and fiddling my phone or I'll go out and make popcorn come back. Oh, okay. It's still going. <laughs> That's me. Uh, we were, we were pretty I, young I when they easy. made this. And so, you know, I think we get, especially us adults, we get spoiled all that fancy. Oh, no. It has nothing to do with that. I think it has to do with I like George Romero as far right. as his script, his script, his scripts are concerned, and I like his stories and what his plots are. But I think he's a really bad director. I think he's a horrible director. There's like the cuts are really weird, and and you know, and the way he frames his films are not very, you know, it's just kind of like. And he never really learned. I mean, like when he watched The Crazies or he watched Martin, and I love the I love the subject matter, and I love his films as far as. You know, because that's stuff that no one else does. But when you look at the filming side of it, it's it's, it's very film schooly. You know, like someone who just, you know, who just, yeah, it just feels like someone who should know what they're doing when they're filming, but not quite sure what they're doing when they're filming. And he should know better by now. 
And I know because you know if this, if this was the second film he did, I could understand. But this is like the fifth film he done now. He's done, you know, he did four films before Dawn of the Dead, and this is what he's done. And that's why. And that's why. And Day of the Dead, he does get better. And then of course, Land of the Dead, it's slightly better, but not a lot. But it's, it's slightly better as far as the filming technique goes. And of course, his last film, his last dead film, which he decided to do the Blair Witch Project side of things on it. Uh, we'll forget about he, that film. Altogether. He made one more. He made one more after that. He did the Hatfield and McCoy's uh, dead ver- uh, dead movie after that because there was Diary. That's that's the the, the found footage one. And there was Survival of the Dead. Oh, I think Survival is the uh, yeah that, uh, that that's where shit kind of falls apart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, well, his, Land of the Dead falls apart as well. It's just like his you know. uh, or the Dead series Wikipedia page said uh, there was a TBA title called Twilight of the Dead. I guess this was some this was something that he was either working on at some point and abandoned, or somebody else has picked it up and they're working on it. I but can I know- actually tell you a little bit about it because uh, one of my close friends was going to produce it when Romero passed away. Uh, Justin Martell and the people behind Joe Bob's Last Drive-In were in talks to make that movie. And um, Romero was sick, so he wasn't going to direct. He was, I think he he had written a screenplay and it was in rewrites. And uh, yeah, I don't know what's happened to the project since. I don't know if anything is going to come of it. I hope something does. Uh, But yeah, Justin Martell... uh, of uh of joe bob's last drive-in was on board to produce it and i remember i was talking to him in like the summer of like 2016 and 2017 and he was super excited about it and then yeah romero died in like 2017 or 2018 and then i i don't know if that just killed the project entirely or what yeah the wikipedia page was still still listed as tba (laughs) i guess to be announced so, but I, I noticed I noticed that yesterday. But it's just it was nice to have a film with the word "dead" in the title, where they actually show the dead. Yeah, because I've been watching The Walking Dead for eleven years now, and that movie's. I mean, that TV show is not about the dead anymore. It's not about anymore. The- they lost me. I will be honest. I've got all the episodes recorded, but I have not watched them. And I think I lost the I watched the last episode where they were shooting the rockets off. That's yeah. the last one I saw because I just can't get into it anymore. I, I'm, I'm completely I'm caught so up. I'm so disappointed where they took this series. Don't get me going. I'm waiting for the last, <laughs> last eight episodes. I'm, I'm a completionist. I'm waiting for the last yep. eight episodes, but I don't care about uh, Fear the Walking Dead. I don't care no. about this new spinoff series with no. Megan and New York City. Although I love New York, and I would I would love to see kind of like a Escape from New York slash Walking Dead kind of crossover. It's perfect kinda. for right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't no, even no need kidding. to do any sets or anything. <laughs> <laughs> but that's that's where that's where they're taking it. But uh, it was just Megan's it was got nice. a spinoff. I didn't hear. That. Yeah, it's it's uh, I, you know they they keep other characters keep saying yeah I'm going to be on it too, and then they're not and. So it's it's something I don't want that's any still more spinoffs. Just let it go. Yeah. Let it die. It's, let it go. It's a negotiation. I guess the uh, problem the problem with any zombie thing anyway, it's, it just kinda reminds me of Clarks too, where you know they're having that fight between Lord of the Rings and Star Wars and it says <laughs> Lord of the Rings is nothing about people walking. It's just people <laughs> 
and they're pretty much what like, that's pretty much what doms are because they're the thing is is like it there's, is, there's, no, there's not gonna be a there's never there's never gonna be a solution is it is it i mean it's it, i love zombie films don't get me wrong and i do right. watch them and i do love them but if you think about them and whenever it comes to tv shows or films or you know everything that we've seen about them i mean there's not gonna be a happy ending with any of it is there ever no, you know, if you're living, I mean, you know, the only thing I've learned from zombie zombie lore that if when if a zombie apocalypse happens, maybe it's just best to get bitten right away. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, it's like, I don't think it's like I a nuclear war. If if you know if Russia decides to push the button, I'm going to run outside and try to catch me a nuclear warhead because I don't want to live in there. <laughs> <laughs> I know I don't want to be around for radiation poisoning either. Just freaking exactly. vaporize me from the get go. Well, you know, I'm not going to walk. You know, I'm walking around and like, I mean, every time I, you know, every time I see Dawn of the Dead anyway, every time I go to the mall, I feel like I'm in, I'm, I'm on set for Dawn of the Dead anyway, because all the consumers are like, they're walking dead anyway. <laughs> it's like all the people shopping. <laughs> but it, it, it seems like in horror going through like a, kind of like a 70s renaissance right now. So if they wanted to do more like this, I think now would be the perfect time. Did any of you guys recently see X? Yes. Don't like, going. <laughs> Yes, that, I love X. I that, love it too, but I want nobody to trigger warn me about the geriatric sex. That's all I got to say. <laughs> I was like, I was uh, not ready for that. It's just like, I mean, I made my husband watch it with me, and I don't think he way. was ready for it either. <laughs> by the way, nobody nobody caught this. The, uh, the 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 woman's character's name is Pearl, right? Uh, yeah. the, the old lady. Uh, and apparently, there's a prequel being made called yes. Pearl that's going to be focusing on her. And I'm wondering, and nobody's asked Ty West, at least not as far as I know, because he shot the, this was shot a lot like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Very much. It looks like and the, the Texas Chainsaw that. Massacre met Debbie Does Dallas. That's what it's yeah. like. But the DP of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, wasn't that Daniel Pearl? Wasn't he the... Was, I'm going to look it up. I'm wondering if this is... Google, that. it's free and in your pocket. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. Because I just thought of it now, and I, I remember watching it, thinking, "Hi, oh, I wonder, I wonder," and then I uh, wait. No, did I'm you like X? Did I love like X. It, I know you do. I know Matthew did. Do you like it, Chad? I I, I thought it was really cool. Um, I uh, I had every intention of going to see it here in Dallas over at the Texas Theater because that's that's where I like to go and and watch like my older movies or like the newer movies that look older just because that place still feels like it's caught in the seventies like somewhere. The Angelica? Yeah, like I like to go to places like that and just I got so busy I missed it and then it came it came out on Vudu I uh, I went ahead and pre ordered it. And uh, I watched I it. Stop watching! What a train wreck! I love my it. my uh, <laughs> my wife. My wife is a lot younger than me, and like the whole time, I'm just like looking over at it. And I'm like, you know, that's what it's going to be like, right? You know, and, <laughs> and I don't I don't have too much longer to go, and that's what it's going to be like. I just want you to know this. I want you to go ahead and put that in your head right now. This is what's going to happen. I remember messaging Vicky and Keith while I was watching, and I was like, "Holy <laughs> shit! This movie's about aging out of sex." That's yeah, really you're right. About. It's but yeah, what happened? Warned me. Nobody told me about that. They were actually going to show. And then she's sitting there screaming, "Fuck me!" and all this other shit. It's what like, happens when I was ready to crawl under anymore. the couch. <laughs> it's, it's about losing your mind when nobody wants to fuck you anymore. That's basically what it is. She was horny, and he kept saying, "Well, I'm going to have a heart attack." Just like. <laughs> 
you know, it's just like, what if I have a heart attack? You won't have a heart attack. Just do me. I should, um, I should give you a little bit of um, statistics here that basically chlamydia and syphilis are growing at the largest amount of growth that's happening is in old folks' homes at the moment. So oh, basically yeah. now, in this, in this country and in Europe, we now have to test uh, in old folks' homes for sexual transmitted diseases once every six weeks because it's growing so rapidly in these homes. <laughs> so, old people, we, I mean, you know. I, just I, because I there's snow on the roof doesn't mean there's like... not a fire in the furnace. <laughs> yeah. Well, to all, to all the younger people out there who still have living grandparents, we just want you to know that kind of shit's going on on the, on the other side of the wall. That's when you right. stay the night there, <laughs> that kind of shit's going on on the other side of the wall. Yeah, Trust uh, me. It is Daniel Pearl was the cinematographer of Texas. Hell Show. yeah, but that's that's so great. So now I'm wondering if Ty West was purposely paying tribute to Daniel Pearl. That's I don't think so. Well, Ty, Ty West Ty is, West. but Ty West is a big fan of '70s horror anyway. So if you look at House of the um, De- House of House of, House, yeah, House of the Devil, House of the Devil, yeah. yeah. And um, and there's a lot of '70s references in there with like their names and Mary Wardoff's character. This was like definitely like well. '70s. So I would I would wouldn't I wouldn't be biased because he is a huge fan. Of, I love Ty West films anyway. I love The Innkeepers as well. I love that I love little spin films. that he gives on everything as well. Well, some some of the best horror films, in my opinion, that have been out over the last thirty years that the the best ones are the ones who do that 70s throwback, you know. The campy feeling stuff. Or uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. I, I never I never get tired of watching House of a Thousand yeah. Corpses. Me neither. I love Devil's that Rejects. Movie. Yeah, Devil's Rejects. I'm scared to death to watch The Monsters, but I'm I don't do know it. what to think. Don't get, I mean, I have questions. <laughs> I, I, I see people on both sides of it already that either love it or hate it. I'm like, there's not enough there yet for us to make any decision about whether or not we think this could be good. I, I feel like there's not enough out there yet. I tell we people, might, I'm, like, I'm like, I'm like, have you ever made a film? I'm like, have, <laughs> right? have you ever made a film? And they're like, no. And I'm like, then how can you criticize Rob Zombie? He's, he's made several. Uh, I, I like the guy. I like the guy. I like the guy's style. Uh, I like I like the uh, the relationship that he and his wife have, you know, as far as their work ethic and everything. Uh, I I have yet to direct a film, so <laughs> that, yes, that's you, August. You, you sound like I like I did a couple weeks ago when I I made I made a, a, a you know a few comments on here where I was basically like, we need to be kinder to independent films because like a lot of people don't realize when you criticize these movies, especially movies that aren't like like not every movie is going to go in and have the fucking budget of you know a no, Marvel movie. Absolutely, you not. can't expect everything to look like that and be that polished. And I feel like a lot of times when people criticize a lot of these movies for their lack of polish, like are you like do you understand what went into the film, or are do you just not realize that they didn't have as many resources as? you know, a movie made for Warner or Disney or right. Universal or whoever. Right. And I think it's a fucking minor miracle just to get, a, just to get a bad movie finished is a minor miracle. Right. So no, I like, I love independent film. That's one thing I discovered during COVID was independent film. And I was very grateful for discovering independent film. Finally. So my, uh, unfortunately, I mean, the, monster, the monster is not independent film though. That's, I, no, no, it's, it's going to be a universal say, thing. Yeah. But yeah, I remember I when I was, um, I was I was going to be a, a judge at a film festival in Milwaukee, and uh, and it, it got uh, it got canceled because of COVID. And I remember the first thing I was going to tell everybody 
there was congratulations. You just achieved something just by making this movie, whether it's good, whether it's terrible, you did it. And that yeah. in and of itself is an accomplishment because it's so, it's so damn hard. Writing a screenplay isn't easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. Everybody would have a, if writing That's a true. great movie was easy, everybody would have written a great movie by now. No, nobody would be digging ditches. Nobody would be, nobody would be driving trucks. Everybody would be a right. fucking screenwriter if it was that easy. No, for so, real. I mean, my only reason for showing up at KillerCon this year in August is I'm going to spend three days. I'm turning my hotel room into a studio, green screen and all, and I'm going to spend three days knee deep in the splatterpunk community attempting to direct my first documentary film. But this, this is already what seven months in the making. I've been planning this for seven months. This, this is not an easy thing to do. So. I just, I don't want to, sh- I don't like shitting on filmmakers. <laughs> and I, I try not to. When you have all the resources and you fail, like something like, uh, what was that Travolta movie from the early 2000s? Um, the space Battlefield movie. Earth. Yeah, something like that. Shit on it all you want. They had all the resources in the world and they fuck it. it it's laughably bad. Shit on that all you want. Don't shit on the guy who had $20,000 in three days to shoot it. Yeah, you know that guy. <laughs> that guy did what he could, and he it was never going to be a Disney product. You know, uh, Rob Zombie. Yeah, it's a Universal movie. I don't know what I. I don't know. What I think people are here. just re- just ready to be biased because it's Rob Zombie. Oh, there's that. Right. Too. The question basically is how much control he's going to have over the final edit, anyway. True. Right. The I don't know. I mean, is- have you seen his interviews? He'll probably have a lot of control. Uh, I mean, it, and it's I supposed to be. I don't know. It's supposed to be PG thirteen, isn't it? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, PG thirteen. But he is—he is a director for hire as well. Yeah, so, true, so that's going to create a little bit of thingy. I mean, people people um, shit on him. They shit on his version of Halloween. Uh, I'm a big fan of Lords of Salem. I thought that was a that was a piece of fucking. I actually art. liked it. I, 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 I like Lords of Salem as well. The the yeah, the problem with Halloween is was it ever going to live up to Carpenter's movie? It, Hell no! You know. you're, you're talking about one of the one of the greatest horror movies ever made. I I, 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 I I like the first Halloween. I like this first Halloween. Halloween two. I think that he probably should have kept his wife dead. I mean, bringing her back with a horse is a bit much. <laughs> so, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. She was in that, wasn't she? But and um, I mean, the only problem with I say zombies Halloween is the problem with most Halloween or Friday 13, the Freddy films, is that when you show the man behind the curtain, you start, you lose some of the mystique of your whole yeah. film. You know? Right. So when you start, like, the backstory of whoever, in this case, Michael Myers, you kind of lose, lose some of that mystique that Michael Myers has. True. So it was an interesting white trash version of Michael Myers. So that was a good, you know, it was good for that. But, <laughs> but, you know, but, but I think anytime you pull the you know curtain back and you try to give a origin story to anything, whether it's alien or predator or whatever, you kind of lose the mystique of what you what you originally had anyway. So I think valid point. Kudos to him for trying to do something different because the best parts of that of, of Rob Zombie's Halloween were the parts before it became a straight Halloween remake. Right. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. And I think the problem with, that we're going to run into with the monsters is the monsters was a very specific um a very specific parody of its time period and they've tried to resurrect it every 20 or so years the thing is you really can't without updating it like in the 1960s it's like the brady bunch set in the 90s or the early 2000s you know they, yeah, they didn't work. 
but I think you're, right. I think you're also forgetting about Sodden, um, Barry Soddenfield, um, the Adams family was getting yep. the same kind of stuff before it came out, and then yep. it became a huge success. True. Um, so if he gives it that kind of spin Feel. on it, well, he's gonna have to update and give it that spin on it, or he's gonna have to keep it in the '60s. He's gonna have to do one okay. or the other. But if he gives it that spin on it and makes it a like the Brady Bunch movie. The Brady Bunch movie yeah. shouldn't work, but because he has that spin on it, so you have the Brady Bunch living in 1990s, but still the Brady Bunch of the 70s living in this right. background, which made it a fantastic film. Adam's Family did the same thing. You had the Adam's Family living in the 90s, but they're still living in the 60s. You know? right. And so yeah. you have, if they get a good social commentary, so if he sticks to that, chances are you probably get a very good film. But I feel like those two are better, better suited to be updated. Whereas the Munsters, if you think about the sixties, the Munsters are very sixties and really like, it's kind of hard, like you, you, um, hot rods and, and famous monsters Filmland. How's that going to translate to now? Because like, I don't feel like there's a, like there's that much nostalgia for that now. Well, the Um, Munsters is basically, um, make room for daddy, isn't it? Or, um, or leave it to beaver basically. isn't it? It's a parody of that with, with monsters. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's gonna it's gonna get shit on because it's because it's Rob Zombie because it's a remake. I I think it's way 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 too early to say anything about what what it's gonna what it's gonna be like quality. Know, it might surprise everybody. It might be quite the good rendition it, of it. He, you know, without is he shooting it in black. And, is he shooting in black and white or color though? Color looks like he's shooting it in color because uh, the the trailer even says the monsters now in color, which. I guess we're forgetting the Munsters' Revenge, the Munsters Today, and all these other versions of the Munsters that were in color. And, and, um, and sometimes that's what makes sometimes that's what makes it suffer though is um, um, the Herman Munsters makeup sometimes can be a bit alarming. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Lily, Lily, Lily would look good. What? Well, black and white, you got away, you got away with it. But I remember when they made the movie of the Munsters, the Munsters Come Home, or something like this, and you got to see it in color. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. And, and I remember, I remember like seeing the makeup, and it was a bit like watching a colorized version of Dawn of the um, Night of the Living Dead. It's Pretty like, much. Okay, this is not. This doesn't feel right. So it'd be interesting. That's a monster. Go home was in color too. Yeah, monster. Go home was in color too. Yeah, I and I just remember that. seeing it, and I and I kind of and I remember wishing it was in black and white because Lily looked fantastic, but it's just it was Herman Munster's green makeup, you know, sort of thing, and it's kind of like. Okay, would he be green? I guess you know, like I guess. Well, it's supposed to be. He's dead technically, but yeah, but and you know, well, most emerald green, not emerald green. <laughs> There's, I think it was a little shock. Was he, was he living in Oz? <laughs> Did he come from that's, Oz? <laughs> the thing is, the reason the the reason the Karloff Frankenstein makeup was in green is because that's how they were going to get it to look good in black and white. Right, precisely. I, why would the monster be green if they're using human parts? <laughs> yeah, it just true. That I mean, is a good question. It'd be it'd be gray. I mean, if it was brought in fresh, it turns your flesh turns gray. Yeah, right. it doesn't go green. It turns gray. And it kind of goes like a grayish reddish kind of thing, and then you get bruises all over it with the blood settles because it's not pumping and stuff like that. So, yeah, so so that that that's that's the thing is that I don't know if the uh, the filmmakers uh, <laughs> re- realize that the reason the, the reason the makeup had to be green was that it's just, that's yeah, how it was black and white. Yeah, you're filming in black and white. You gotta, you gotta. 
Well, it's a bit uh, like um, M People, which is a black group here. They had a song called Moving On Up in the 90s, um, Heather Small's lead singer. And um, I remember a friend of mine was, they were shooting, she was shooting a video in blackface. And of course, they had to paint her gray, you know, because black skin doesn't show up in black and white. So I paint her skin. And then she's like, well, I don't understand why her face is all gray and her hands are all gray. And I go, I go, are they shooting in black and white? She said, yeah, I go, that's the reason sort of thing, because you have to shoot things on different, co- different color contrasts. Like, you know, you can't use pastels in black and white. You have to use like solid colors in black and white. But you also have to, you know, be very aware of what's going on behind them as far as the sets behind them and everything goes well. So right. that's the reason why, like a lot of black and white films, you don't see a lot of texture going on behind them. Yeah, they, uh, people don't really realize that because uh, when they shoot something in color and then just remove the color, it doesn't look right because you have to shoot every makeup has to be a specific way, uh, lighting has to be a specific way, and it's not just a matter of oh, we're going to shoot this in color and then take the color away. No, you need to specifically do certain things to get it to look right in black and white. Yeah. And it's easier to add color to black and white than just the other way around anyway. I mean, Spielberg said that with Schindler's List with the girl with the red coat. He said it's so much easier doing that because if we did it the other way around, because everything would look the way we wanted to look. It wouldn't look like a true black and white film. It looked like a washed out film. So it wouldn't have a quick contrast. But the light, the light, even the lighting's a lot stronger. I mean, you're, I think you have to use what ten to fifteen times stronger lighting for a black and white than you do a color. You do. <laughs> I learned that the hard way in film school. <laughs> yeah. So. Um. Yeah. Um. But um, you know, going back to Dawn of the Dead sort of thing, and I guess it would. I think it would have been nice if the zombies were probably a bit more grayish looking than the purplish color. Well, they were technically blue. That's like, I think they were using the blue color. Then that way it would make of, them look more gray. Argent- yeah, but we also got a lot of Argento. Um, blood. Blood red. You <laughs> can always tell like- his films just by the by the blood. It must be an Argento movie. <laughs> yeah. Ar- Argento blood red. I remember. Well, I think I, it has to do with um, the coloring, anyway. I mean, the coloring is. I mean, it wasn't. Um, I mean, I think the film stock they used was just typical Eastern Kodak regular filming, wasn't it? Coloring. Because I know the colors were, even when the Blu-ray or the HD version of the film, I noticed that the colors are not. They don't really snap off the screen, sort of thing. So, I imagine you probably used a low-grade coloring for the, in the original filming process. What it looks like. Yeah, it, def- it definitely is. It definitely is more muted. Uh, um, it's. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to remember now where where it was. I remember seeing a documentary where they were interviewing George Romero about um, going to Italy <clears throat> to meet with uh, with Dario and Claudio Argento, and how basically the the entire uh, the entire uh, way that they that they did things over there was so much more relaxed. Like he would get there and it'd just be like. 10 days of, of the Argento family just making these giant feasts, uh, just all this food and just kind of just bringing it out to them. He's like, when are we going to get around to the writing? Ah, we'll get to it eventually. We do this after midnight. This happens after midnight. Yeah, first um, we, then we dance, then we have espresso, and <laughs> eventually we get around to writing. Yeah. That's not including our siesta between um, one That's just the way they are over there, though. I, mean, they- I have to sit there and say though, our gentle movie being on a uh, gentle movie um, sh- um, set 
is that if he has a German actress and a Spanish actor and an English actor and uh, Italian and Yugoslavian, all, they're all saying their lines in their in their in their language. Yes. They're not none of them know the, what each other is saying, and then they just dub everything at the end. <laughs> and you just be said they're going. You know, someone speaking French and someone who's speaking Spanish and someone speaking English and they're just waiting for the. God, that sounds like hell. In. It it does, but that's because it, the, the the film industry in Europe in the uh, in the early sound era was so heavily controlled by uh, uh, by Mussolini, by Franco in Spain that they they wanted when American movies would come over, they they didn't want anything subtitled. They wanted everything dubbed because they wanted to make sure that the messaging got across the way they wanted. So for a long time, and I guess some directors still stick to that in Italy. I don't know if they still do to this day. Everything is shot um, MOS. They did during Sleepless and Tears of the Mother when when I was on the so, set yeah. for those. They were still doing it. As of those 15 years ago, they're, they're still doing it. Um, but it was a lot of it was because you had it under you know those fascist regimes that just wanted to make sure no message from the outside gets out. We don't want we don't want uh, we don't want them hearing any of this. Um, and it just became like that. But I mean, it's also Argento. It's still, it kind it's, of, it's still it, like that, though. If you watch television over there, every all the American they get a lot of American programming in Spain and uh, Italy and France and and Germany, and it is all dubbed. None of it. None of your none of the films were subtitled. They don't hear the American accent at all, um, and. Though they do get the American accent in ads, which is kind of weird. That's well, I guess in an ad, it's it's just going to be what whatever the product is, so you can kind of trust that well, a little. Well, I mean, well, Robert De Niro has his own voice actor in Italy. He has his yeah, own. I've noticed that some actors have specific people that dub them all the time. Yeah, and so, and, yeah. They, and and they make a lot of money. So I remember um, Zach Afron. They did High School Musical came over to uh, Italy. And it was dubbed, of course. And um, and he said that, you know, he's like, he said he's watching it and he's getting all excited because everyone had these fantastic, um, you know, Italian voices and stuff like this. And then his voice is like, oh, mi piace! <laughs> <laughs> She's like, oh, shit. <laughs> and he said, and Zach Afron said, up until, like, for the, for the next seven film, eight films of his career, that high-pitched actor who's doing his voice is like, it, it only changed when he did um, the Ted, Ted Bundy film and then from a lower actor voice. <laughs> so he did like, a really good job in that Ted Bundy film. That was yeah. very well done. But, but the thing is, is that, that if something happens and, you know, if that's not going to say that it's a, you're doing a sleeper film or something like that and it does transmit over there. And if let's say that you're an actor just starting out and they probably think, oh, this is, this is only the it. So they might just throw whatever voice actor at you. But if you start becoming popular, that voice actor is stuck with you in that country for your whole career. Jeez, hmm. man. So. Well, I mean, if oh, you watch shit. a lot of a lot of uh, Italian movies from the 70s and 80s, you'll start recognizing a lot of the voices because they used a lot of the same people over, yeah, over and over right. and over again for all these movies. I think like it was... The, the uh, Clint uh, Eastwood spaghetti westerns. Those kill me. <laughs> uh, what was it? Well, Italia, I think, was was where a lot of them were were, were dubbed, and yeah. they they had like these these voice actors that were living in Italy, these American and British voice actors that were living there, and they would dub all these movies and send them out. But I think for our well, gentle, the funny oh, thing about it, but Dario films is that like let's say uh, opera, um, the the actress is Spanish, so when yeah. he went to Spain, her voice stays Spanish, and everyone else is dubbed. 
the American actor Ian Charles, uh, basically his it's his in, in this voice that you're hearing in English that everyone else is in this dub. And if they're German, the German actresses, you'll hear her speaking her real German voices, but everyone else around her stuff. So it's kind of a, it must be like a really weird thing when they get to the sounding of like, okay, well, here we go now. It's like, okay, well, we're going to keep her version. Now let's get everyone else dubbed around them and vice versa for each country. The places so. where it gets weird is when you, you watch like a really low budget Italian movie or Spanish movie from the 60s or 70s or even the 80s, and you have like a Christopher Lee or a Donald Pleasance in the role, and they don't get them to dub their own voice because now you're watching Christopher Lee and you're just hearing this random English guy speaking. You know, right. them. They've got Lee has a very distinct baritone voice, and sometimes yeah. you just don't hear it at all. Um, but what the I was weird, uh, what I was just saying the about best the, person. The best company who does great with dubbing is Disney. They do the best. Disney. So if you Disney, like, so if you watch Tarzan, no matter what country you're listening to it, you're hearing Phil. You hear Phil Collins's voice because they have a machine that actually changes his voice to whatever language they want to. Oh, so you get the same oh, wow. voice. You get Phil Collins's voice in Italian and in Spanish, and for the music side of it. That's neat. Um, and that, and they also like when they do. Because it's an international, such a huge international corporation, anyway. That you know, so let's say Frozen. So when they got Let It Go, they got people to match Adina Menzel's voice in different languages, and they and you can watch a video on YouTube where you can see the different dubs and the people doing it. So it's huh. quite bizarre. But that that's Disney, one of the biggest multimedia companies, you know, the biggest multimedia company in the world. So yeah, they could totally do something like that. Uh, but, you know. The thing I was going to say about Argento and shooting with no sound is Argento likes to move his camera around so much that it probably benefits him more that it doesn't matter. We're not recording. Sound. It doesn't, what you're saying doesn't fucking matter because I just want to get my camera over here and then get it over here and then get it over here. So he's busy talking to like the cinematographer or whatever, I guess. And well, Hitchcock did the same thing. And they both yeah. have that same idea, that same view on actors, which is actors are just cattle. They're just, yeah, I think that's a I think that's a direct quote from from Asia Argento. I think she says my father refers to actors as cattle. They're just there to move around mm. while I while I do what I need to do to get my shot. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the camera that tells the story, not the actors, I guess. So in in the, in his case, yeah. Yeah, even in Hitchcock's well, case, Hitchcock yeah, was all about actually, the same thing as well. Right? Actually, probably, yeah, in all cases, what am I saying? And probably Brian De Palma as well in the early part of his career. <laughs> They're pretty much. They're probably the link between the three of them. There, Hitchcock, De Palma, and Argento are pretty much close, closely linked as far as the direction styles are concerned. Lately, I've been watching a lot of film noir, and I started kind of getting getting into like seventies and eighties erotic thrillers. And I watched uh, Dress to Kill, and yeah, De Palma is kind of the link. De Palma is kind of like the link between like old film noir, Hitchcock. Then he takes a little bit from Jalo, and he kind of he almost gave birth to the erotic thriller. Which yeah. is, it's kind of interesting while uh, watching that kind of evolution. Well, even Blown Away and things like that as well. You know, Blown Away with um, John Travolta and John Travolta. And Carrie, of course. Right. Yeah. Uh -oh. So, what are your thoughts about Dawn of the Dead, Vicky? You haven't said too much about it. I've just been agreeing. No, <laughs> I, I, no I, I thought it was just like I said earlier, I thought it was chaos. You know, from the get-go, because the, the apocalypse was already going on. It's not like The Walking Dead, where you see, well, the apocalypse is kind of going on, but it's more progressive. Well, it's a series, too. But there's really no progressive with this. It's already shit. And so, you know, you got people trying to survive said shit, you know. 
and they ended up in this mall, which I kind of thought was a really good idea because if you could have stayed anywhere, that would have been the place to be. There's clothes, there's entertainment, there's food. How they had power, because I imagine the grid is going to go down eventually, you know. And and it was just it was carnage throughout the whole movie. And if you're a gorehound and you know and you still love the older movies, then it was excellent choice. I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the older cut. I've never seen the. Um, I honestly don't think I even seen, I've seen another, was, was Argento, this is where I was getting lost. I saw the older version before, but did Argento do something different and took on and just redid the film with his little... Ar- Argento's soundtrack, I think, is better, but I'm a Goblin fan anyway. I like Goblin's music. I loved it in Suspiria, and I loved it in Cabrito Russo, and... Uh, the soundtrack's different. You have a different right, Okay, I, I, I was trying <laughs> yeah, to figure out what was different. Movie. It's still the yeah. same movie. It's just, yeah, it's a, it's a different. It's got co- more, co- more gore, more talking. But you know, I, I, I was trying to envision how he was struggling really hard to keep this from being an X movie because you know, I mean, when you think of X movies, you're thinking of you know X-rated movies. You're thinking porn, and he fought really hard. Oh. They wanted him to cut the shit out of this movie, and he did not want to cut it all and just totally butcher it. But he fought really oh. hard, and he asked for a non-rating. To, to squeak yeah. by. Yeah. And well, I think, I think that it was I mean, filmed in the cold in Pennsylvania, too. I mean, these people were freezing their nads off when they were filming this. I mean, no, normally, if you have, norm, I mean, the thing is, there's, if you want to go from an X to an R, it's not too difficult. You just kind of have to slice a second off here and there, sort of thing of like part of the gore part of it. Which is what well, they I mean, did. You like just Friday. turn on TV. Well, now. It's, what, it's what they did. Well, it's what they did with Friday the Thirteenth, and it's what they did with other films of that at that thing. It's like you know they just like sliced out like a second or two of like the killing or the blood right, right. or the blood. You know, instead of having like two seconds of the blood pouring out, you might just have like the b- blood just starting, and that's it. And that's how they would cut I, it to. Who was it? Galen Ross was uh was the the female actress, correct? Yeah. And they said, apparently, when she he was telling her, they wanted her to hold back her screams for some reason. And every time she screams, she loses some of the strength she's supposedly possessed as a female character. So um, George uh, knew this, and it was the last time he asked her to scream for some reason. I guess because little bitches don't scream. I'm, not, I'm trying to understand where he was going in his direction of this. Well, he wa- yeah, think- he wanted, yeah, go ahead, Keith. I mean, the thing is, is I think that, I mean, I think this is one of the first horror films where we kind of get into a, a antagonist of a feminist character, a woman that's basically doesn't have to be protected or chaperoned or... or well, she, she was pregnant be, in the movie, too, so I guess... Well, she's pregnant, them. but at the same time, she does give a whole speech that basically if she's going to be in this mall with him, she wants to be an equal... She yeah. wants to know how to fly the helicopter. She wants to be able to fight. She needs to be able to protect herself. She can't depend on these people to do it for her. Right. So we, you know, and I think for 1978, that you know, like having the black um, hero character Night of Living Dead, we've now got a female character that's now breaking a barrier that that Night of Living Dead did with the black character. Right. So, and to and have her screaming and being the the victim or being the pearls of Pauline character, you know, probably wouldn't be the the best way to play it i mean she doesn't i mean she's quite useless she's a little at the beginning. flaky at the beginning but she does well she's yeah she's a bit useless at the beginning i mean when you know the when pilot guy's fighting with the zombie guy and what sort of thing she's just standing there like 
But I you know, might want to hit like, him over the head. I or didn't something. understand why they got women in the background and your old man's getting his ass beat. They're trying yeah. to eat your buddy there. It's like break something over that motherfucker's head. Do not let it kill your friend. <laughs> you know, it's like what is going on with this? If you normal people, I I wouldn't I would probably but, do whatever I could. But, but we also get a female also that when she gets the gets assigned to the female roles that are expected of her, that of course causes friction within her relationship with the pilot, you know, when she's cooking it when she's cooking the fondue <laughs> for dinner. Yeah. <laughs> or, uh, There's also uh, He was a douche though. <laughs> yeah, he was an asshole. I didn't like him. Also, I think that's that's I, I hate I hate that character, and it didn't help <laughs> that it didn't help, earlier. But it did it didn't help that that character that her boyfriend, the pilot, and her kind of look like brother and sister anyway. They kind yeah. of look alike. <laughs> <laughs> they do. <clears throat> there's and I don't know if this is intentional. There's a little bit of like, and, and, I, and I'm and I'm guessing because it's 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 after the civil rights movement of the '60s. You know, we're about ten years after it. There seems to be like a little subtle tension between um, between Flyboy and Ken Foray's character, yeah. and then he seems like like jealous of him. Like I, I, I don't know how to like that. Like there's a little like the, there seems like there could be a little bit of chemistry between Galen Ross and Ken Foray, Maybe. and it seems like it upsets. Uh, Flyboy, and I'm wondering if that was an intentional statement on it might have been. people becoming a little more accepting at that point of interracial relationships in the 70s versus like you know 20 years ago. I think you where, were imagining that. I think that there was something to that. Well, I don't definitely. know if it was intentional. I, I, I definitely felt like that was the case. I don't know if it was an intentional thing or not. Well, I mean, you looked at in, look at Night of the Living Dead. Who was the hero? Who was saving everybody's bacon? That was no. that was uh, a that was just a circumstance because uh, they said Dwayne Jones is just the best actor of the group. Yeah, it so, wasn't written for him. He was just happy. Yeah, to be it was just they the were just this small. But group I'm just saying, you know. But I mean, he was. Ele- I mean, this was at a time when a black character would not be elevated. So you know. Yeah. So yeah, I want. I wonder if it was intentional or not that they kind of wanted to to, to kind of put that little tension in there. It's never spoken. It's never flat out stated. But then again, nothing in this movie is. Uh, no. Well, maybe the I mean, he was the strong guy, though. Yeah, I mean, he was he, the strong, he was, he dominant the, he male. Was the mascul- yeah, he was the masculine one. I mean, let's face it. Um, the the pilot guy was kind of a little bit of a Nancy boy, wasn't he? Really, he just needed yeah, to die he, a lot he, earlier. Well, he, <laughs> but, but, I mean, his his character is basically like this boy scout who thinks he, you know, who thinks he's tough, but everything he touches is basically. I mean, he's the reason why things go to shit at the end anyway. I mean, yeah. know, when, the, when the crowd goes in, it's because of him. He's also the one that almost gets Ken Foray killed at the beginning because he doesn't know how to fire a gun properly. Oh, that's you know, right. Everything what that bring that one up when he points a him. gun at him and says, never point a gun at anybody scary, isn't it? Fucking fantastic. Yeah. And that guy's getting behind him every time. <laughs> uh, yeah, Roger's getting behind him, like knocking the gun out of the way and then just blowing <laughs> off a zombie's head because <laughs> he's a terrible shot. It's fantastic. Yeah. Though. And, you know, and I guess, you know, for me, I kind of wish that he was the one that got bitten and the blonde haired guy is someone that lived. Because the blonde haired guy I thought was fantastic. I thought, I, lo- I thought his acting was really good. His acting was actually above. Well, his acting was above everyone else's in the show as well. So it's kind of like, you know, he, I don't know where he came from or what he's done since. Because you kind of see the other pop, pop here and there and, and different things. Ken Foray, of course, he covered um, a lot. I think last week, didn't we? Didn't he, didn't he pop up in... What did we do last week? 
or book the screenies, and that was me. Which book did oh. we do last week? I have oh, uh, your book to screen last week was uh, From Beyond. From Beyond. From Beyond. Yes. Yeah, he's in From Beyond. He popped up in From Beyond. So he's in that sort of thing. Um, he's sorry. a horror icon at this point. Right. Yeah. yeah, Zombie uses him a lot, too. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. back to Zombie. That's- zombie owes us all lunch. We've talked about Rob Zombie so much in this episode. He owes us lunch. He owes me an interview. <laughs> yeah. He owes me an interview. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Three. He's he's in that. He's um he's in a ton of stuff. Like I I, I love Ken Foray at this point. Like I, he's yeah. one of those guys that slept on in, in the eighties and nineties. Didn't really seek out movies because of him. But now I'm like now looking back, I'm like yeah, I really like him in everything I've seen him in. He's a powerful character actor. Even the chemist. Yeah, but even the chemistry he has with the blonde hair guy is fantastic as well. You know what I mean? He has chemistry with all of them. The couple, yeah. I, I found the couple the weakest in the in the movie, actually. I thought that they're... It's they had okay, issues. But, it's well, strange. it's not that they had issues. It's just that her, the, both their acting wasn't that great. It's like the other no. two were really good actors, and their acting was kind of like passable. It's like you didn't feel anything for her. I mean, if she got bit, if she got killed or got thrown over the edge, I don't think you. I know, as a as a male, as a choice of a man, uh, like to be the father of her child, and as a protector, she just did horrible. You know, it's better to just get a gun and fucking shoot zombies on your own and wait for somebody to save you. Just the way well, it is. In, in a society that hasn't fallen apart, he's probably the one out of the three that probably was making the best money, and you don't you don't plan for an apocalypse. Yeah. So he's probably when she's choosing her mate before the world fell apart, he's probably the one that would stand out because he's a pilot. He, he's going to make more money versus, you know, the two cops. And interestingly enough, like what, what I remember this movie, I remembered Foray and, 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 uh, and the blonde guy being being buddy buddy. And I kind of felt like, OK, were, were they like really close friends that ended up in this thing together? And I completely forgot. No, they met during that raid early on in the movie. Yeah, right. Like they have so much chemistry together that when you see them on camera, you think they've been they've been friends for twenty years. Yeah, they had a really good rapport amongst each other. Um, I mean, what we know about the blonde woman—I don't—I can't remember her character name at all. I, I call her boring the boring gay woman that's what i call because her name's galen or something in real life isn't it it's called the boring gay woman yeah she's like uh, a really successful documentary filmmaker now yeah well before this i mean i mean i mean we know about her character basically is that she's a news producer isn't she or you know and that so and maybe maybe Romero that. based that on on her on her actual character because yeah she's I think yeah. she's either won or been nominated for a couple of Oscars for documentaries or something mm-hmm. like that or some major awards I don't remember which ones you know I guess they had trouble with the zombie actors too I guess they were drinking way too much at the Brown Derby which was in the Monroe Mall and they stole a golf cart one night crashed into a marble <laughs> pillar and did seven grand worth of damage that's the <laughs> so film I want to see wild. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I know, I know. At one point, and there's one segment in it that's probably about ten, fifteen minutes long. Where I'm sure it was that all the zombies would bring your kids to work day because they had yeah. all these kids in there at one point. <laughs> True. I mean, you know, you know we're just bring your kid to work day. <laughs> I'm gonna put you in the movie. Well, the the, the way, the way they say that they some something about 
to get extra zombies now i could this could be the 2004 version i could be wrong but they're giving out a t-shirt a cup of coffee donuts and maybe a buck to seal the deal to get extra people to be zombies i'm trying to remember well, which that's, that's what you that's what you dig with with extras with extra when you hire extras you normally start give them in this country you get they give you give them 30 quid they have to come with their own wardrobe, and you get. And if they're if they're shooting, you can give them, you give them lunch. But you normally give them like a really cheap lunch. You don't give them the lunch that everyone else is getting. Yeah, no, well, they I don't get the fam- fancy actors' lunch. They get the when they I, get the peasant surprise. <laughs> when I was uh, when I was working as an extra in L.A., uh, the bigger studios would like give you like a pass to the commissary to go get whatever you want. And it's always in L.A. by law, it's they have to pay you. Minimum wage up to eight hours, at least minimum wage up to eight hours. But they always paid a little better than that. Um, anything after 12 hours was, t- uh, no, anything after eight, between eight and 12 hours was time and a half. Anything after 12 hours was uh, uh, was double, uh, double your hourly. So um, movie shoots are long. So I made a lot of good money. <laughs> We're working like a day or two on these things. But yeah, usually and, and if, like, you get, if you get, a, if you get a talking line, you even get more money. If you just get one yeah. line. <laughs> and you got to, to eat. Up. Eating. Eating is good. Um, they would, but yeah, it would be like, uh, you, you'd have your voucher. And if, uh, if they gave you a line, they'd mark something off on your voucher because now when you bring it at the end of the day and then they do payroll, they have to now up your rate. Um, and yeah, it was depending on the shoot. Um, like I was on, God, I don't remember. I was on a TV show where like the, the, the extras were all segregated for everybody else. We were, you know, we got like shit food, but then we're, you know, when you're, when you're on the Warner lot, they, you know, they, they have like donuts and stuff there that you can go take, but it's, uh, it would usually be like after the leads and everybody gets what they need then the extras can go. Uh, but on the Warner lot, you'd get, uh, you'd get like two or three vouchers to go to the commissary and get, uh, you know, up until it's up to a certain amount, you know, uh, you get whatever you want up to a certain amount of money. So, they, you know, it depends on who it was, but sometimes they were super cool. Some, cool. some of the extras are quite funny though, because you do have your professional extras who basically uh. think that, um, that basically they'll go, you know, like, they'll go, oh, it's, oh, there's Helen Marin. I've done four films with this so far. And you're like, <laughs> and, and they'll give themselves character names, you know. So like fourth, fourth man on stall. They'll go, "Oh, my name's Henry. I had this stall for seven. They'll give them a little, little, little like a background history of their character, and, and that's an extra in this part. My name is Henry, and I've owned this store for it's like, it's like in the script it says, you know, stall owner. You know, you know, lead character passes by stall owner. It's passed by stall. That's it. He had it woman. You know, you know, you'll talk to him, he'll have his whole history down. But you know, he's owned the, his family's owned this song, it's handed over to him. He's like, you'll give me this history. And like, okay, I go, do you have any speaking lines? No. So you're next. They time. used okay. to real. They used to <laughs> that motorcycle gang was the pagans, and I remember them when I used to spend summers in New Jersey's. That pagan motorcycle gang, they were pretty big on the Eastern Seaboard once upon a time, and that was actually a motorcycle club uh, marauding gang or whatever you want to call it back then they were a lot they were nice guys though but i I mean they use their own motorcycles too i don't know if they got anything extra for that i i would say that i would sit there and say though the motorcycle gang weren't the brightest bulbs in the pack wasn't it well i don't think they were supposed to be were they well i don't know i mean okay they they apparently have fought their way through to get to the mall sort of thing so they fought through the world devastation and they get to the mall 
they go into the mall, and of course, you know, they're killing the zombies and letting them all in. And tearing up their last resources. But what is it that a guy with the sombrero who decides that just before he leaves the mall while everyone else is getting eaten and died, he needs to check his blood pressure? What (laughs) is it? I don't know what the fuck that was. That was so random, it wasn't even funny. Why are you thinking of it? Why now? I know, but there's zombies everywhere. He just stops and sticks his arm in the cup. It's like, what is wrong with you? He had it coming. That guy deserved to get killed. He just had it coming. Mm -hmm. That was a justifiable death as far as I was concerned. But, but I was going to say that I, I think Romero, when, when it comes to action sequences, I think that's where he, you know, he does have a good persona for that actually. Because once once the zombies take over and they get in there, the, the tension really builds up at that point. So, I mean, the tension's so, always there. I feel like, except for that that little that little um, that little montage in the middle where like we're uh, bored with our life in the mall. Sort of yeah. And then immediately you hit the golf ball, it falls on it falls on the ground, and then it's like, wake up, this is still going on out there. Yeah. yeah. Which is just super cool. I really I, I yeah, I really love that. I've seen enough now, zombie movies and zombie series and everything else that I will survive the apocalypse, damn it. Uh, I'm just uh, gonna unload my I don't unuseful, to. unworthy friends. <laughs> Well, I'll be fine we- for about a week shooting people in the head, and then after that, I'll probably be bored. We'll get to that in the second movie. That's true. <laughs> we will. <laughs> but uh, there, there was something that came out uh, like like a couple months into into the first COVID lockdown, where uh, th- there was some some news article that said that uh, fans of horror movies were better equipped for the. Uh, for uh for the lockdown uh, uh for the lockdown because of uh, their experience watching like zombie movies and stuff. I like heard that. something about that shit. Hey, we are. We were ready. We know exactly what to do. Like, like they were, like the like the first month or so, horror fans were taking it a little easier. Like they were like, oh, okay, yeah, we've seen this a thousand times. We know how this plays out. <laughs> Look, man, I'm I'm not gonna lie. The first thing I did when they put Dallas under lockdown is I went and bought a couple of new handguns. Yeah, a lot of yeah. Well, yeah, you need it because what's mine is also theirs, and what's right. theirs is going to be there. Yeah, you can't trust I anybody. Mean, the interesting thing about coronavirus, though, that if you rearrange the letters, you get raccoon, like that, like, oh, in, like okay. Resident Evil. Like yeah, Resident Evil. I, you know, I never thought about that. Oh my god! No, it's the monkeypox now. So I'm oh, going to be yeah. if anybody looks like they have leprosy, just don't touch them, guys. Okay. <laughs> no, you have to have, no. I mean, okay, let's get the monkeypox thing sorted out first, first of all before you before your media runs off in another direction. It is it is a virus that spreads through bodily fluids. So unless you're having sex with someone who has monkeypox, you're not going to get it. So. That means wrap that rascal. Yeah. <laughs> That's the reason why ninety eight percent of all cases in monkey and monkeypox tend to be homosexual at the moment because uh, if, so basically so the basically if you need stranger love, just make sure you're wearing a glove. That's it. Charlton Heston <laughs> looking down at his crotch going, You damn dirty apes. Yeah, you damn dirty apes. Get your yeah. hands off me, damn. <laughs> Actually, when monkeypox, when I had to, I had to go to because I was on the monkeypox ward here at work um, last week, <laughs> and and, uh, and before the jubilee, and I, so I was there. I, I was I worked there on Wednesday, all day Wednesday, and um, 
And before before that, the week before that, they go, okay, well, you, you're going to have to go on the ward on um, the Wednesday because of short staff. We've got COVID starting all over again here again. So a lot of people are off of that at the moment. So um, so they give me like a seminar and, they go, and they're talking about monkeypox. I go, and they go, it comes from Africa. I go, it's not a bit racist to call it monkeypox. I go, didn't Roseanne Barr lose her job because of that? Yeah, <laughs> it's no, kind no. of racist when you think about it. And no, no, and and the in fact um the infectious disease control guy said um that no it's caused from it started from a bite of monkeys. That's what it, it started from a bite. Yeah, so we always have to blame bite. some other poor animal for debauchery and disgusting so behavior. I, I, I blame that monkey from I blame that monkey from friends who was an outbreak. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, bl- blame the bats. Blame the monkeys. Stop okay. eating bats! So, I think what we all want to question about Dawn of the Dead, what do you, do you think that the consumerism um, satire that this movie now has, you know, is now known for? Do you think that's what it was originally intended? What I think it was. In this case, I think it was. I don't think, do you think it he was thought that beforehand, or do you think that? Well, do you think it was before? Do you think he had that in mind when he was writing the script, or do you think it's because this is what was available to film in, and that's a, that's what gave him the idea for consumerism? Well, he even says that's what was available to film in. Well, that's what they said, but it's a bit like um, it's a bit like at the end of um, Night of the Living Dead, where basically where Dwayne Jones basically gets killed and they get thrown in the fire, and that became and then. Now that's looked upon as like, oh, this is a, a, um, a social commentary about uh, black rights in the 60s. But at the time, that's not what it was about. That's what's come out of it now. That's looking back on it. Well, it was Some a valuable out- message that got sent. Well, to be honest, it's just that he happened to be a black actor and that was the ending of the film and that's what happened. So but that's that what happened with it, though. What, I, I think in this case, as, as an afterthought, but it wasn't the thought. It wasn't the thought process. An, no, I don't it. think it was purposeful. No, I, I think so in this here? case, I think in this case it was because there, there's lines of dialogue in there of you know uh, who are they and you know they're they're, they're coming you know they're, they're coming to them all because you know they they just this is just something they that they uh, that they remember some happy memory. I think that's part of it. Um, I don't I don't think it was accidental in this case. Whereas in 1968, I think that definitely was a happy accident. Right. I just never yeah, hung I think, out I think, involved, I think that's it too, but I was just kind of wondering. Because this, this does go in hand in hand with consumerism in 1978 America and, you know, Dawn of the Dead is considered that. But I was, you know, and I was kind of, I thought the same thing as you did, Joe. So I was just kind of wondering if everyone else had the same thought. Because sometimes things get kind of tagged on after a film's release. And it's like, oh, it's meant to be this. And it's like, yeah, but where does the consumerism? I mean, I see it's a mall, and they're making fun of everything in said mall. So I bet the malls weren't that huge yet in '78. It wasn't until the '80s that they really blown up, and everybody yeah. wanted to go to the malls. I mean, we didn't have a mall in our town. Well, I mean, I just you can't miss what you never had. So I just can't. I mean, we didn't have a mall until when was that built? Nineties. You know? Probably in the 90s, wasn't it? The, the, the latter 80s. No, wait, drums. it was still the latter 80s because I remember. Yeah, because I worked there at a bookstore. But, I, um, I, I, I came long after I left. But, um, but yeah, malls became a big thing in the 80s anyway. It became a lifestyle, wasn't it? Where, you know, you go to the mall to hang out. Old people will sit there and do their exercises going yeah. around early, early in the morning. They still do. 
Yeah, so it was kind of, you know, My parents used to go walking in the mall all the time. So was- I think it was also in um in the way like they they grab the money from the bank and stuff, and it's like just in case. I think the point. I think the the point of that is well, what's the what's the use of this stuff? It's you don't really need it. You're never going to need it again because society <laughs> at that Wipe point your bum completely falling apart. So that money's completely worthless. Yet they're you know they're taking this photo where they're shaking hands and holding up this big stack of money. And I, I, I think that's part of Romero's message in this one. I, I, I feel like the first Night of the Living Dead, totally accidental message. I feel like all the ones after it, I think he actually intentionally put a message in it. Well intended, maybe because he saw that the other one had a message it without him realizing that was put yeah. forth. Yeah, because uh, you, you get the mil- you get the you know when the military and the government doesn't listen to science, and the next one, then you get the. Uh, um, the so um, military the, taking over. Yeah, the, the inequality, the uh, financial inequality in Land of the Dead, and it it goes on and on from there. True, um, true. I think I think in the sequels, I think he did actually intend to put those messages in it. Yeah. So basically, when you watch the the the, the dead films by Romero, you can wa- you can travel um, Romero as he gets more and more woke as each film goes by. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was woke. I mean, I think everybody. Was. I don't think it was woke. Woke. Uh, no. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I mean, I guess you know the consumerism and stuff like this. Is at the end of the day, you know, instead of like fighting, it's ridiculous guys, now because just think of it. I mean, especially during COVID, the new normal. I mean, consume, consume. I mean, I've never been bombarded with so much you know, advertising, and it's so bad. I mean, you can't watch a movie on TV or anything without bombardment, you know? I mean, I've pretty much muted for the next 30 days. You know, most of my whatever I follow, because I can't stand the ads anymore. Were you talking about product placement within side films, or are you just talking about commercials in, in between? In, in just, in, just, in any, just in any production anymore. I mean, it's, it's all about consume, consume. I mean, just think of the 80s, Pepsi cans everywhere, Wheaties, you know? I mean, yep. Now I notice that a lot of times they hide, especially like in soap operas, they hide the brand. And make up a brand for Beyond Set. I mean, so you don't see it like you used to. Well, but- I mean, look, I mean, how did Apple grow? Apple grew by making sure that their computers and phones were in every single TV and movie that you saw for about 15, 20 years. Yeah. Every time someone turned on a computer, it was an Apple, wasn't it? So the It's masters. always an Apple. It's oh. always an Apple. The masters of advertising was Warner now Brothers like, in 1989 now- for Batman. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That was a <laughs> That was yeah. That was refresh my memory. Everywhere. The uh, the Tim Burton Batman when it was okay. released in 1989. Warner Brothers just saturated the market, and, and everything's been like that since. But before right. that, I don't recall product placement quite like that. The, right. uh, the, the Warner Brothers, the God, they were they were gods in advertising. Yeah. Well, it's, how, it's how you get you get a bunch of money up front so your movie is more successful on the back end. You get somebody else to pay for it. Um, but right. interestingly enough, my my roommate brought this up, and I uh, he he had started to notice that it, in any kind of mystery or anything, the villain is never using an iPhone. And um, apparently, he says that there's a, there's kind of like this unspoken rule where Apple will not allow you to use an iPhone if the villain's going to be the one using it. I don't know how how accurate that is, or if there's uh, if there's any documentation. It probably, it probably is part he, of, I imagine it's part of a bit like that. Uh, he know, was able that, to. You know. 
Well, he was the able bad to directly, guys murder phones. He was able well, he to directly ha- guess the killer in a murder mystery because he's like, it's the one guy not using the iPhone. And then we watch it till the end, and sure enough, and I don't want to spoil it by giving away what the movie was, right. but it was a major movie. And, I, and I, sure enough, by the end, it's like, holy shit. And he's like, yeah, every movie he, he started noticing, he's like, the person who ends up being the killer is the one person not using the iPhone. And this might have just sense. completely ruined mysteries for everybody out there now. It's going to drive me nuts. No, the guy you well, know, it, it makes sense because, you know, it's a bit like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're right. That you can never show Arnold Schwarzenegger in a bad light in anything, because that's part of his contract. It's so a, why wouldn't someone who's, who's doing product placement have that in their um, contract? Makes sense. Yeah, Ali Terminator, he was a bad guy. So wait, did well, you just yeah, look it up? And yeah, I story. did. I did. It says, trying to figure out who the bad guy is in a movie, look for the character who hasn't touched an iPhone. Rianne Johnson, the writer and director of Knives Out, revealed that Apple will permit film productions, productions to use its products on screen but with one very big caveat, villains cannot have the iPhone on camera. Well, you'll know. I just now. learned something new again. <laughs> but but if you if you look at things done in the last three years, you you'll realize that Apple's being used less and less, and it's now Microsoft Surface that's being used now. So I noticed that. I'll, I'll keep an eye out for that. Yeah, if you look, if they have the Windows symbol at the back of the computer, it's Windows, the Windows Surface. And they and the phones and the phones are all Google phones now that they're using. So, right. but I also Google, don't watch, yeah, that's true. But I also don't watch a lot of modern movies really anymore. Like I watch a lot of older movies usually. So. I've been watching a lot of the older ones. I try so desperately to avoid COVID films or films that were done during COVID, but I'm starting to break down. A bit. <laughs> <laughs> so what we'll do is let's get to rating. So out of a score of. Five, uh, one out of five zombies. How many zombies do you give Dawn of the Dead from 1978? Starting with you, Vix. Five. Five for gore. Five for just, I thought it was excellent. I thought it was funny. It's it's an <laughs> ultimate zombie go-to movie. I mean, it's just, it is what it is, especially, you know, I just love the old stuff. It's, I, who, your- who hasn't watched it? Chad, just recently. Chad, that's right. Yeah, it's it's it was uh yeah. I mean, I, I saw I saw what I needed to see when I was ten years old. <laughs> I, I saw zombies and pie fights and yeah, that's all I needed to the see. Pie fights. I forgot about that. That was fun. That really was. And how many? Um, what about yourself, Chad? What do you rate it? Yeah, I I loved it. I uh, it's it's one of those that I would probably go out and search for like a Criterion collection or something like you know with a lot of special features. I want to know so much more about like the style, uh, especially since I'm I'm starting to lean more toward like filmmaking now uh, than I am writing. Uh, just like I said, it was campy. It's gory. It's it's very classic. It's it's got that that seventies feel. Like when you when Not you watch much it, sex though. There isn't no teenagers getting it on or anything. No, there's the teenagers. There's, uh... Dead teenagers. <laughs> there aren't even there any was, teenagers. Were there? There was no. There, but there were there were there were zombie children in this, and that's something that The Walking I Dead has rarely done. I think whoever said that done. was take your child to work day was probably a hundred percent spot on on that one. But but they weren't afraid to kill them either. I mean, these people were killing younglings before I know, Anakin Skywalker made it cool. They were blowing kids away left and right. <laughs> Wait till you guys see the movie I watched. <laughs> Jesus. 
I mean, I, I catch hell. I catch hell because I, I killed a baby in, in like one of my previous novellas, man. I catch so much hell for that. Uh, yeah, but, keep it real, brother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, this guy's obviously a misogynist and a racist and a baby killer. Racist. I know. If you kill any of this, racist. Yeah. <laughs> You're all racist. <laughs> But no, I I love it. It's definitely definitely a five star five star movie. Like you just you you couldn't recreate the feel of this film. No, you, you can't. I mean, nope. and lots of people have they and try. will try, but but you can't. And it's also one of those films that you can you can put it on in the background while you do other things. You know, when you're done folding laundry, those fuckers are still going to be in the same situation yeah. in that same mall. It's, They're still blue blue gray people. Trying it's to still you. blue gray people. <laughs> And what about yourself, Joe? What do you rate it? I mean, it's a five star for me too. And one thing we we didn't uh, really get into is how this kind of changed uh, filmmaking in Italy too, because you had its own separate little like spinoff. Because in Italy, it was titled Zombie. In uh, 1979, you had Lucio Fulci making Zombie Two, and then it just kind of took off from there. Everything became a zombie sequel. They went back and. Movies made before Dawn of the Dead got retitled Zombie 3, Zombie 4, Zombie 5 in different okay. markets. Like there's various different versions. So it, this kind of started an entire uh, filmmaking movement and kind of broke Lucio Fulci out too, in a way, just because he made a, a successful, uh, you know, quasi sequel. Um, so, yeah, extremely um, five stars for me, extremely well made um, and just. It's pop culture wise, like it, it was, it's huge to the community. It was hugely influential. So yeah, absolutely. Every zombie movie we've ever seen has to nod to this one in some capacity. And that's all the way to the walking dead or any of them. I mean, dead rising, the computer game. So that's right. Dead rising. That's right. Well, Except I'm going to get a motorcycle film. gang. You get a cult. Yeah. yeah. A, a two, one, two, three, and four. I, I am going to give this film a four star rating, only because I really like a lot of it, but some of some of the long winded dialogue kind of makes you. I, I have difficulty staying awake for it. That's the only thing. I love there's the a lot of stuff. The that they, there's a lot of stuff. I love the ending of it, but I have the, it's the middle part that kind of that drags me down a little bit. So. And they I think it shortened some of the conversation and dialogue. I don't think it's short. I don't think it's shortening the concept. I think that if um, if George Dead Romero man. wasn't such a stagnant filmmaker with camera angles, if he made it more interesting when they're talking, it, I think I and I think if the editing was a bit better on it, I probably would probably wouldn't mind as much. But it was a I, you know four or four and a half. You know I would if, you know I it would. You know, thank God for the zombie Harry Krishna that kept me entertained, though. So that kept me. Going. I just like the wide array of zombies. I actually All walks met of life. I met uh, him at a convention. I was taking a piss in the men's room, and he he walked in completely still in character. Like he uh, he, he was weird. The Harry Krishna zombie. I, I met I met him uh, in the men's room in Louisville, Kentucky, which just sounds like a far seedier story than it is. <laughs> we want we want we have questions. <laughs> we need a little backlighting. <laughs> there, there really was nothing more to it. I just, I, I was, you know, he he walked in full, full, uh, 
regalia. Full costume and everything. And I, I was washing my hands when he walked in. He was kind of a funny dude from what I remember. He was, you know, he when he saw somebody was in there, he went he went back to kind of playing like the zombie characters. I was like, all right, it's it's fun, it's cool. brings us to Dawn of the Dead, the remake, which is a 2004 American action horror film directed by Zack Snyder in his directorial debut from a screenplay by James Gunn, a remake of George A. Romero's 1978 horror film. It stars an ensemble cast that includes Sarah Foley, Bing Rhymes, Jack Jake Weber, Ty Burrell, and Mikkel Pfeiffer. Scott Renger, Tom Savini, and Ken Foray from the original film also make cameo appearances. It was Snyder's first feature film, having previously worked as a television commercial director. Set in Milwaukee, Dawn of the Dead follows a group of survivors who take refuge in an upscale suburban shopping mall during a zombie apocalypse. Producers Eric Newman and Mark Abraham developed the film rather as a reinvisioning of the original Dawn of the Dead, aiming to revigorate the zombie genre for modern audiences. Newman and Abraham were, let, were handed the rights to the original courtesy of the producer and rights holder, Richard Rubenstein, and then Gunn was brought on to write the script, which adopted the original basic premise, but is oriented around the action genre. Snyder came on board to direct with the goal of keeping every aspect of the production as grounded in reality as possible. Filming took place from June 9th to September 6th of 2003 on location in Toronto, Ontario. Canada were announced now-functioning defunct shopping mall that was slated for demolition was used. This special effects makeup for the film was created by David Leroy Anderson. It was released on March 19, 2004 and the film topped the box office on the United States opening weekend. It went on to gross $102.3 million worldwide against a budget of $26 million. This is the spiritual successor to Army of the Dead, which was released on Netflix in 2021. So before we go into talking about Dawn of the Dead from 2004, let's cut to the trailer. All right, guys, I'm going to go grab a cup of coffee. I'll be right back. Hey, Vivian. Hey, now look, I can go backwards. Let me see. Hey, that's amazing. Hey. Hey, you. just been informed that we are going off the air and switching to the emergency broadcasting system. Look up the road, there's a lot more of them. Why are they coming here? Maybe they're coming for us. The sooner or later they're gonna get in here. Baby's gonna be fine. It's only a matter of time. It's coming. 
They'll find a way in. Oh god. Welcome back to the Literary Life Podcast. We're discussing Dawn of the Dead for 2004. And starting with you, Joe, what are your thoughts of Dawn of the Dead, Zack Snyder's kind of a classic film now? It's kind of considered a classic now. Um, it's like 20 years old and it's a classic film. I mean, that wounds me deeply. <laughs> I mean, generally, that's, that, that's what it takes, I guess, when you think about it. Because what, uh, when we were... You know, in, in the 90s, people considered The Godfather a classic, and that movie was only 20-something years old. Yeah, um, I guess you're right. I don't hate the movie. Um, I just... A butt coming. After... Like, I, I saw it in the theaters, and I remember not liking it in theaters. I watched it again right before Army of the Dead, and I was like, okay, it's grown on me in that time. But then watching it immediately after, like the night after I watched the original Dawn of the Dead, right? It pales so much in comparison. And this, you know, Zack Snyder's fans are, you know, they're gonna hate me forever for this. Whatever, I'm, you know, piece of shit. Whatever, yeah, I'll get it, get it out of the way. Total piece of shit. There's nothing you can tell me that I haven't heard before. So Zack Snyder fans have at it. His movie's not as good as Romero's. Um, it's. It's still a fun movie, like Vicky said at the beginning. Like, like Vicky said about the first one, this one hits the ground running too. Uh, right. You get, you know, there's something going on in the hospital. What is it? We don't know all this. Wait a minute, this guy who's in a bar fight is in uh, is in ICU. What what happened during that bar fight? You don't think about, you know, they don't think about it exactly. because oh, whatever. I'm going home. It's the end of my shift. She gets home. She gets in the shower with her husband. There's something on the news. Something, some kind of breaking news. We don't know what it is. Um, and it says specifically, you know, we're just going to have the update on it and then back to your regular programming. Okay, so he's setting it up so that they're going to go to bed and they are going to know nothing about it. Then the next morning, a little neighbor girl shows up and it is off to the races. That's right. I forgot about little neighbor girl. Well, no, a little neighbor. Was that the, I thought it was their daughter for some reason. No, they don't have a daughter. Okay, it was the little neighbor girl. Why did I keep getting that screwed up with something else? You're thinking but- of Resident Evil. Oh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> but, yeah, but the dead. Dead. Either way, she was they, a they, hungry they, little they spot, wasn't she? Um, even though the living dead, it was the, it's the daughter that uh, that, that ends up killing uh, Carl Hardman. And um, okay, okay, but yeah, it's um, it's not it, it's not a bad movie by any stretch of the imagination. It's fun. I <laughs> like it. It's fun. It's. Uh, the, the only thing is, th- I feel like nobody's as likable in this movie as uh, uh, Ken Foray and um, and uh, the the other guy are in in the original. Like, I feel like almost everybody in this movie is a douchebag, except for Ving Rhames and Sarah Polly, right? Who I who I actually like, and I like the guy in the gun store. And you kind of feel you kind of feel for him a little bit. The rich guy's a douche. Well, the rich guy's a total douche. And then one of the heroes turns out to be a guy who's a douche because uh, it's um, the, the, the head of security 
When you meet him, he's a complete and total douchebag. Oh, he's a total douchebag. Completely, completely hate him, but then he kind of starts to come around a little bit. So he actually has a little bit of an arc. But everybody else, like, kind of doesn't because it's, it's they're just kind of there to be, like, I, I guess, like, kind of stock characters. There's the rich guy who just kind of sees everybody as uh, as disposable. Like, the effects are, you know, the, the effects, I don't feel like even the effects are as good as they, as they were in the 1978 one. Um, they were a little different. But I had to ask you something because I want to know if you knew about this. I read somewhere that... Um, James Gunn, he, he's done, he's directed a lot of movies, you know, TV, mm-hmm. whatever. But he faced a lot of backlash over penning the script for Dawn of the Dead. Have you ever heard of that? He no, got actual I... handwritten death threats for writing a remake. Did he? That's ridiculous. I yeah, mean, I was just that. wondering because I printed some notes that I had found on that, and I was it's wondering probably, if you heard that. It's probably because Romero has the Romero heads that are uh, that hang around, and they're very, very protective with George Romero. So they, their death threats are probably from the, the Romero fan club. Look, right. if you're gonna if you're gonna attack a remake of a Romero movie, not this one. There's so many worse remakes of Romero <laughs> movies than this one. Uh, so I don't I, even I consider like, this a remake. I, that's true. I, it's that's true. it has it has the same title. It has a couple mm. of the people from the original making cameos here, right? But, uh, other than other than that, and they're in a mall. Other than that, I mean, those are circumstantial. I don't even consider this a remake. There's well, they there's said that they there. didn't. They That's said diehard fans of Dawn of the Dead didn't really want the writer of Scooby Doo touching their beloved property. So yeah. Hey, first of all, we got to we got to back off the Scooby Doo here. Because I, I, I love that Scooby Doo movie. I love that Scooby Doo movie. I know, I know. Knowing Lloyd uh, uh, Kaufman, he was super proud during this time because, uh, well, yeah, James Gunn. He talks about the, that. He was. He really thinks the world of him. He had the number. He wrote the number one and number two movie at the box office. A trauma alum wrote the number one and number two movie at the box office during this time period because Scooby Doo came out around the same time. So that's that's super cool, dude. You know, don't attack film. You know, write death threats to filming. It was a fucking job. You know, <laughs> like the guy paid. But people think that some people don't have. They have breaks with reality. Okay, they don't realize that some of this shit is just fantasy. Star <laughs> Wars fans uh, are the worst, some, man. Star Wars fans are the worst. They are. They sometimes are. I often are. wonder when they start reporting these things about death threats or whatever. How much is that for? Perpetrated by the marketing team to get people interested. In That's true. That's well, true. They could have got one person go, "Oh, if you mess this up, I'll kill you." That's probably the death threat. And then by the time it hits in the media and the, on the you know the company here, or I think it's Warner or uh, Universal in this case. Universal, Universal probably. Oh well, I will tell you what. Let's say you get tons of this, and we can we can spin this, and let's bring this out like three months before the film comes out, and let's get the powers to be because nothing what makes you want to go see a film more one that has controversy in it oh, and, then you go see the con- and then you see the controversial film you're like this is really shit if it wasn't with a controversy i probably would never would have seen this <laughs> so, well even uh, the, the, the guy that owned the rights was it richard rubenstein who yeah. co-produced the original dawn of the dead he had been really hesitant to let this project go through for a while because well, so it was the one that wasn't ruined it was uh-huh. the one Romero title that he owned that hadn't been completely destroyed yet because not a living dead because they screwed up with the uh, the copyright. <laughs> Everybody and their mother was able to remake it. There was a version in the 90s where somebody 
took the original Night of the Living Dead and shot extra scenes and re-released yeah. it as his own movie because it's it's in the public domain. Day of the Dead had a really shitty sequel. Um, oh yeah, I remember that one. So this was the one. This was the best Romero movie. They wanted to protect it, so I totally get that aspect of it. And as far as like, and I'm circling back to what Chad said, it. The, the one thing that I was going to say is a very, very big positive that, that I have on this movie, watching them back to back, is it's not the same movie. They could have easily fallen into going, you know, becoming just a fucking, you know, just copying everything from the original. And aside from the basic, uh, the basic idea of survivors of a zombie apocalypse stuck in a mall, it's a completely different film. Yeah, so I, absolutely. I completely applaud that aspect of it. Um, comparing it, yeah, watching it after the original, I'm not, you know, I'm not as big a fan as this one. Not saying I hate it. I, you know, it just. You know, I have Joe's until- address for any people out there that need it. <laughs> well, look, man, the, the zombies, the zombies in the original film were obviously human beings who turned into a creature. In the 2004 remake, and I use that term loosely, they immediately changed and they turned into fucking superheroes or something. They're like yeah, some they're kind of wild beast. animals. They I know, take, they were just like, they were just well, all over the place. That's, act, that's actually uh, the reason why that happened, because Universal had the distribution rights for 28 Days Later. Right. Um, oh, yes. And because of that, um, Universal said that if you're going to make this film, the zombies need to be fast-moving. Because slow-moving zombies were considered passe. But see, in, even the, uh, even the, the Walking Dead, I don't even know if anyone remembers this. I'm sure I'm sure Vicky does. But in the very first season of The Walking Dead, I, I want to say it's either the second episode or the third episode, I think they kind of lost track of who they were and what they were doing there for a second. There is one scene in the very first season of The Walking Dead where all the walkers take off running. And it's the only time in the whole series where they, they go were in faster. Atlanta. Yeah, they were in Atlanta and they were trying to get the moving truck or whatever it is yeah, back to the shopping the center. Go figure. Again. Oh, Glenn. Yeah, exactly. Glenn. And, and they take off, they take off running and it's the only time in the whole series where they take off oh, running. Shit, that's true. That's yeah. True. yeah. Uh, I just, I don't know. I've, I've always been, when it comes to my zombie stuff, I've always been a bigger fan of like the, the Romero slow lumbering, but problem solving. Romero's zombies solve problems. Yeah, they got they, to open doors after a they while. Open they open doors, smart. climb ladders. They knock out headlights with rocks. They, I mean, that's, and that's in the very first night of the living dead. They, they yeah. knock out the headlights of the vehicle. For any with, with of you a rock. guys that watch stranger things, did you think when they were in the mall, I was thinking Romero in that final episode before it comes back in July and stranger things. Keith, did you watch it? Um, I've lost the mall, and I just kept things. thinking. I think the I think the mall has something. I think the mall. Well, oh, was the eighties again? I think it has more to do with like Night of the Comet and those kind of. You think? That's next week. Oh, that's right! It is Night <laughs> of the Comet week. Yay! I love but that. I like. Movie. I like my zombies to be you know love more more of a slow lumbering horde rather I feel like than it's creepier that way. Yeah, rather yeah. than the. But there's so running. many of them. It's like Legion, you know. Well, I, I think the, I think the problem basically is, is that 28 days later, they are not zombies. They are infected human beings, which right. is totally different from dead people rising. 
Correct. And they, they can boogie the like zombies are. Well, did you ever see the zombies in Train to Busan? Those are nuclear oh, yeah. mutants. Holy shit! And they they crawl oh. up on top of each other, and make Train, land bridges. <laughs> Train to Busan does that better than any movie I've seen. Before. I have never seen yeah. anything that compares. That is oh, well, get ready for it because movie. they have right. they have greenlit the American remake of it. Get ready. Train to Boston. Please tell me now. They're going to ruin it. Leave him yes, alone. They, they have green. They have greenlit the Americanized uh, remake. Leave and, my Korean uh, horror alone. They're going to. I know. But <laughs> I, I don't. I don't mind. I don't mind them doing that in Twenty Eight Days Later, and I don't mind them doing that in Train to Busan. It's this is supposed to be a remake of a Romero film, and right. it's it's like. The very first scene where where there's an undead person in it, it's just they're screaming and growling and frothing at the mouth and running at you, and, and that that immediately took me out of this film. The very first time I saw it, I'm like, "Well, I'm done." Well, at least they kind of give you some backstory. I mean, they've got where the neighborhoods are starting to fall, and I mean, there's some. At least they give her at least a little backstory. You know, her yeah. mother gets killed, and you know, little girl just. You know, I mean, it's en- it's enjoyable. I mean, like, I mean, it doesn't think... suck. I mean, it has a lot no. of good moments. It, like, it has a lot of great moments. On the... My favorite is where they're shooting the, the dead target. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> Burt like, That's the best thing in this movie. Burt Reynolds. Don't do that. Yeah. Rosie O'Donnell. My my wife my wife is a lot. Like, my wife is younger. She's new to horror. And if I was going to show her one of these two films, I would probably show her the Snyder one because it's more exciting you know it's got more expl- it's the more michael bay of the two films okay yeah it's, uh, right I, right i mean and snyder's a good director and and so is gun and the two of them are two of my favorite like action kind of superhero movie directors right now and, and this is this is where it all began um it's uh um, create a whole mall from scratch it's uh it's it's really good now, I, for, like I said, for I, me, I, Dawn I, of the I, Dead, I actually, I actually enjoy this film a lot. I love, but I, I, I think, think it's it has fun. To, I think for me, the reason being because I am a huge Sarah Pauly fan. I loved her in the Sweet Hereafter. I loved the Weight of Water, and I loved her director when she directed Splice, which is one of my favorite um, films. She's a though. fun actress as well. She, she, she's, she's a very, she's, she's a, a very serious. Uh, she, she actually wrote, you know, she she wrote a lot of the scripts for Handsmaid's Tale as well. She does a lot of writing directing now. Right, she does more of that now. But she's kind of very, very respected. So for her, I think that's the reason why I like this film so much. But I also like the way that this one, I like the way that it quietly, um, uh, you know, basically reveals itself before the shit hits the fan very quickly. But there are also things I've also noticed in this film that if you cut, if, um, if you listen to our previous shows when we did Anne and the Apocalypse, where yeah. basically when she's running away and, you know, she's in the car, she's running away. I, I just remember that Anne and Apocalypse actually recreated this whole scene where she's dancing and all the zombies are going, the zombies coming after and running off the, like, yeah. off. And they actually recreate that scene in Anne and the Apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of things that I, when I was watching this, that I actually enjoyed a lot more because of that, because I noticed that there are things in this movie that they actually took the, that, that actually take a piss out of other films I do like. And so it gave me a more of an appreciation for this. Right. But, um, but yeah, I say that once they get into, and I also like the ending of this this film a lot, where the simple fact that you know they you know being who they are, they're but the thing being who they are, they're all stupid, 
Yeah. And so, and they, keep, and they keep that stupidity all the way through. Yeah, that's not quite enjoyed. It's not like, and then when they get to the when they get to the island, basically they're fucked. They're dead. No one survives. Well, the and dog I like gets it, it first. Well, I no, like wait, they don't eat the dogs. That's right. I like it that they had a downbeat ending to this, this as well. I, I'm glad that they kept that in sort of thing. Um, there are some other things that didn't make a lot of sense. You know, simple thing like you know bringing it. You know, when they bring that. And when they bring, I know, Terry Ann, if you're listening to this, I'm really sorry, but when they bring Terry Ann in on the wheelbarrow, <laughs> uh, and um, yeah, and I have to sit there and say, it's like, you know, she looks really ill. It's like, what are you doing? She's not going to survive. Well, obviously, she was going to die, and they had her in Precisely. the back of the truck, and she went downhill. While yeah, she, she was, was already turning blue. Well, she she came in. She came in, turned blue. She looked. She looked like an extra from like Lord of the Rings. I mean, I mean, this one. She wasn't an attractive woman to begin with. I don't. I don't know. She's there in her dirty slip, and she's got great big bite marks out of her. And they thought this was a good deal. Uh, went, yeah. I'd be like, I, I go. You can. I, if it was me in the mod, you, I go. You can wheel that. You can wheelbarrow that bitch back out where you came where she came from. Well, like, I, I would have put my foot down. There's uh, no, go ahead, Keith. Go ahead. And there, and then there's also, you know, there's other little things that, though I do enjoy watching in the movie, you know, but the pregnant wife of Macau Pfeiffer, you know, I thought that was cool. She's obviously a a Russian bride that he met at a brothel or something who's had her passport taken away because she promised a job in America. And then he finds her. I don't know how these two got together, but that relationship is just kind of (laughs) weird. Yeah, but how he keeps her chained to the bed while she gives birth to well, her she's probably child. Used to, I think, well, she, I think she was a Russian stripper before he got married. I'm not sure. I can't remember <laughs> either now that I think. I've seen this movie like four times, and now I'm going to have to go back and look it up. But what but I, I did appreciate about these guys, though, is they actually wanted to create zombies based on reality color schemes. And they actually were looking up, what do you call it? Like, they were going through crime photos and looking at fucked up bodies and stuff to make sure they had it right. It's like there was a lot of research went into their zombies. I liked it. Well, Joe and I, Joe and I were discussing earlier in the show that there is very minimal character develop uh, development in this version. Like, like the original version, you you get to know those characters so well, but in in this version, you you don't have to really know them because they that they kind of played into those like two thousand and four ish, you know, Mad Libs movie stereotypes. You know, you got. Yeah. The, the the straightforward serious cop character who nobody right. listens to. You have the suburban cutie blonde chick. You have the weenie white guy. You have the suburban gangster wannabe, along with the person with an obvious ha- handicap, which is the pregnant one, and then the the obviously racist redneck trio of security guards. Right, I mean, it's <laughs> gotta have them assholes. You, the movie you know? the movie starts out with those, and then you get the other people who come in too. But those those are the main characters throughout the movie, and it's it's like it was two thousand and four was those early two thousands films. That, that's what they were. They were just fill in the blank fill with the these blank stereotypical the characters, throw them in any situation, just add water, like you reality know. TV. But it's multiplex movie making, isn't it? It's for the multiplexes. Yes. You know, this you movie kind of reminded long. me of you gotta make sure you have enough too. showings going during the day so it makes back its money and it's multiplexing. I mean, they want 
Matt Frerer, I mean, Nicole's father, I mean, they could have left Tim Burton because his dentures would have fallen out anytime he tried to bite no him. And then, um, but the only person I was really upset about dying was Jane Eastwood, was Norma, the middle-aged female truck driver. I really liked her. I would have liked more of her. She was a genuinely likable person, yeah. And I, I, you know, I loved her in the Santa Claus. I liked her in yeah. Hairspray, the movie. I liked her in Finders Keepers and all the other stuff that she does. She's a fantastic Canadian actress. And so when she went, I was actually a bit upset with her. And Ty Burrell was quite nice to see him play someone who's like an asshole instead of like the dim-witted father from Modern Family. Yeah, he, he went from being the biggest douchebag in this movie. My, my roommate pointed this out, and then, then he was like one of the most lovable dads on television like 10 years later. Oh, shit, I know. He was a total douche canoe in this movie. But did you guys, did, did you think of the movie Feast sometimes when you're watching this? It kind of, I don't know. They're, they're all stuck in the bar, right? They got the right maybe where the, the, the monsters it's, are uh, and, and it's just the characters kind of just seemed like they were they were almost like they had the same group of characters, but it was a different movie. I don't know why that was right in my head. Beast like the Project Greenlight movie that uh uh the 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 the, uh, the horror movie that uh, that came out of Project Greenlight that um uh was setting up, yeah, I, I, yeah, I guess yeah, I, I guess you know I what I'm talking think about. about. I know the movie you're talking about. I guess I didn't really put it together, but yeah, it does, it, it does kind of have. It just seemed kind of similar, yet not. Do you know very, that also the blood changed different colors in this movie? I didn't know this till I started reading. It was composed normal of normal red blood, and the second is browner and drier, and the third is consists of the tar black and oily consistency. So he changed the color of the blood. And they applied it like free flowing, clotted, and dried for older zombies. I didn't know that. I thought that was interesting. That that makes sense. You know, this came out about the same time. This is when the Resident Evil franchise was like still pretty that, fresh. And, are we talking you know, those, about just the video game or when the movie no, the, started? The 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 films. Uh, the video game. I love the video games. The films to me have, have never come anywhere. Never came close to to the the video games. The films never did. But the, this was, you know, those movies were coming out, and you know, then this, and then there was what the remake of the Crazies, which was another another. Oh, Romero, I love right? that movie. Yeah, and just <laughs> that was a, that that's a Romero, that's a Romero remake as well. Yeah, you've got you you just had all these like these really action eccentric zombie movies all coming out at the same time. And I'm not saying that's this is true. A bad that was film. made in the earlier 2000s. This is right this is not that. a this is not a bad not a bad film at all. It is not a bad film. I would show this one to my friends. It's it's action. It's it's gore. There's no it's, boobs. It's, no there, gratuitous sex. Well, there, there, whoa, 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 yeah, there is. I don't remember boobs. Uh, type I've got I've got the extended cut. I remember boobs too. Yeah. I didn't see boobs. Yeah, he's, um, bang, he's banging around the treading machine. Oh, oh yeah, that, yeah. him, the douchebag. Okay, yeah, that's right. I forgot yeah. about that. Uh, um, but I mean, it's 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 a good it's a good film. But is it the superior film? <laughs> Not by a long. No, time. but it's a fun film. It is yes. fun. It's a fun film. I if mean, you're, if you're gonna... looking for artistic mastery compared to Romero, probably not. But if you're if you're if you know the the Day of the Dead remake that came out a couple years later is is far far worse than this you know and that was uh, uh the one by steve minor i i remember watch i saw that one once i never i didn't never watched it again i didn't like it i completely hated that movie which one was that joe uh it was a, a remake of day of the dead that came out a couple years after this there was also 
There's also Day of the Dead 2 Contagion that came out shortly after this. I know that. That's I don't think I've seen it. I didn't think I've seen that. That one's completely unwatchable. Is it? If you yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna talk about you know bad remakes of Romero movies, this is it. There's far worse than this. This is actually a solid remake. This one in the '99 of Living Dead, I actually like. I never saw the Crazies remake. Um, Crazies remake even... is really good. It's actually is it? I gotta check yeah, it out. Yeah, I think it's great. I think it's better than the original, actually. Yeah, and they're far more crazy. Let's put it that way. They're bad <laughs> shit. You get crazier over time. I mean, is this today? You know, I often wonder how much Hollywood knows about our future because between that and the, the Simpsons and then all the Contagion movies that have come out prior to 2020, it's like and David, and David Cronenberg. <laughs> Corona Zombies. Anybody Cron- watch that? <laughs> I, I did watch that. It, I, I, I like horrible, Corona Zombies. Horrible film. Funny, though. I had to watch it. I like Corona Zombies because it's basically um, uh, what, What's Up Tiger Lily just done with uh, Hell of a Living Dead and then Charles yeah. Band shooting a couple scenes in his garage with two It's two good clean fun. It's good clean fun. Um, yeah, he, he, made, he, made it with, he made it in like 20 minutes, I think. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> Insta that, movie. That, but I was going to say, even David Cronenberg, when you watch like old Cronenberg movies, he pretty, like they are... Like Videodrome, when you watch Videodrome and then you look at the state of social media, you can kind of see Cronenberg kind of going. It's amazing, isn't it? If I was in college now, the thesis I could bring up as opposed to what I did when I was a younger younger girl. I mean, it's just just the anthropology of it all. It's just fascinating. It really is. You know, they, had something- do, they had to do 50 zombies every single day for approximately 65 days of filming. That's crazy. That is, yeah, that's amazing. Thirteen to, to have weeks to between June 9th and September sixth of two thousand three for this movie. That's a lot. A lot of zombies. God, for, how can anyone stand to be in Milwaukee that long? <laughs> <laughs> What's that? How can anyone stand to be in Milwaukee that long? <laughs> Keith, that Keith said up. Keith said an upscale uh, upscale abandoned mall Milwaukee, in Milwaukee, you know. and I'm like. Isn't that like against the law to use the word upscale in Milwaukee in the same sentence? <laughs> well, no, they that's actually filmed this, they, they, they actually they actually filmed this in Toronto. Oh, did they film it in Toronto? That's why, nice. that's why all the actors are Canadian. That's why there's a lot of Canadian actors. It's cheaper in Canada still. I think they still like to go to Canada to do their films, except for Georgia. But. Yeah. I just want to take this moment to say hello to all my friends in the Milwaukee horror community that might be listening to this podcast <laughs> yeah. because I'm on it. <laughs> I, dude, I get shit on, on the American Justice Milwaukee. podcast. I get the shit L- on all the time because I'm one of those guys who's traveled everywhere, and I get shit on all the time. We'll we'll be covering a case from a certain city, and I'll be like, "Oh yeah, I've been there. Fuck that place." And just we get hate mail, like you hate do, email. You do. <laughs> I, I think I've got a couple from my hometown because me and Keith always <laughs> roasted every time we're I, I actually asked Shanta if she wanted to do this one because I know she loves Dawn of the Dead, but she's you know she's got her kids and everything, and she li- she lives in Milwaukee, so she <laughs> this would be great <laughs> if she was here. <laughs> I have to just say though, I mean, this film is in is number three. If one this film has been noticed one of the great, greatest zombie films made though. It's in the What's top that? five. It's in top five of the Rolling Stones Empire magazine. It's um, one of the best openings. Twenty as part of the twenty-two best zombie movies of all times by IGN. And 
the was it army of the dead i hadn't watched that one yet i love that one a lot of people hate it but i like you know, i like I the badass it, woman zombie this one I had all, i like it just like don't 20, think 2010 and 2020 apparently so this had a great soundtrack though it starts out with johnny cash you know, yeah. and then it's got that that kind of crooner, kind of Sinatra version of the sickness by Disturbed. Yes. The, the, That's the, so uh, good. The Richard Cheese version of, uh, of Down with the Sickness, which I I fucking love. That is, it was so good. <laughs> it had a great great soundtrack. You get a chance to look up Richard Cheese. He also did a bunch of Cannibal Corpse songs in that style. Holy shit! And it, it's great. <laughs> it is just hilarious. I love his stuff. He's hilarious. I mean, I think with uh. I think with this film, I think that I do agree that the first 20 minutes of this film was excellent. Yes. I don't think he, I think that, I mean, and I, I would say that I'd say that the first 20 minutes of this film, I think does bypass the original Dawn of the Dead. Because I think there's so much. The setup, you mean, to everything that leads to well, whatever. Not, the first 20 minutes of it, it's, a, it's very, very good. Because you're very, it, you're not, I'm talking about from the moment it first starts through the, even through the, Thingies, and until basically she runs off until she gets to the mall. I would sit there and say this setup is better than Romero's because that that was kind of very chaotic. You understand why it was chaotic, and it's kind of like oh, you, okay. it, it's really hard to saying. it's really hard to it's really hard to focus about what the hell was going on. And well, you're you talking about it, that as opposed to the TV scenes where they're doing the news and it's chaotic. And the news, the, the, the parts where they're inside the tenement and killing black people, doing the whole racist thing there. That, that comic. Okay, that gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And and then, but then when they get to the mall, that I think that's when the George Romero one actually gets written. Unfortunately, because the majority of the film takes place in the mall, that's why George Romero's one. Equals, but I have to say the yeah. beginning of this, I I like the best because I love the setup. I love that when she gets in the car crash and she opens up and then they go and they look over at the mall and then they head to the mall sort of thing. Well, then, then what I will do mall, is I'll start working on the Shago cut, where we take the best part of Romero <laughs> with the best part of Snyder, <laughs> and we just make it one good film. It could yeah, be so an ongoing see. film. <laughs> yes, yeah, so we get we get Sarah. We can put Sarah Pauly. You know, bobbing around with the other characters, and then we see Jiren. One good film and one great film, because that's yeah. that's what that's what they are. Like, I think the Snyder one is good. I think the Romero one is great. Yeah, um, yeah, I could agree with that. I do agree with that. It, I, there's just something. I don't know. I mean, he he had his own finesse to that, you know, to to his film, and they just couldn't quite tweak this one. To where it would meet that standard, but it was still all—it was just fun. I always yeah. just looked at it as fun because you know zombies aren't real for the most part, right? And I mean, if we go ahead and we put we put our money down right now, we can probably get Amber Heard at like <laughs> a, we could probably buy her a bill of groceries and get her to be in it right now. So I was told, and this is due to Grapevine, with an all-female cast, so that way no one gets a no one gets no one you know gets accused of anything. <laughs> about the Me Too movement, me and Keith are anyway. But when it comes to well, that, can, though, he's not going to make her pay that eight million back. <laughs> he might not make. He might be a stand-up guy and let her keep her money. Uh, yeah, we, we get her. We get the cast of the 2016 Ghostbusters reboot. We can get. I mean, there's just so many people out there yeah. need a job right now. We can do that. Yeah. We can be the people who give me them that Keith job. Keith are out of the movie making business. We learned the hard way. <laughs> Yeah, I made one movie that was enough. Yeah. So, so regretting that. 
But I, I mean, um, well, I think this Day of the Dead, I mean, I, I, I said before, I really like the, the first 20 minutes. I think it's fantastic the way that, you know, the sort of thing. And then, you know, and the way that it's filmed and everything like that, I thought it was beautiful. And then, of course. It was. Then, it had different, then, uh, different visuals for sure. Well, I think I think that they they unfortunately fell into the um, mall the mall cineplex. Talking about the glamorama like, of the mall. Well, no, it's the character sort of thing that basically okay. That's basically we got these people and and they're about they're found to be killed sort of thing. So we don't really need to invest too much into them because they're all going to die anyway. And the thing is, is that they had lesser people in the mall. I think it wouldn't have been you know it's a bit like um. It's a bit like you can watch um, superhero movies. Like, okay, Iron Man, great. One, one act, one, you know, one villain, fantastic. Next one, two villains. Okay, not as good as too many people in this book. Third one, three villains. And by the, by the time you get, you know, you get too many people that you hard to keep track. Yeah. And I think this film, this film troubles with that. There's too many people that you can't keep track of them. And because there's so many people, you can't tell their story anymore because there's, instead of like telling three or three or four people's stories, now you're kind of forced to telling 12 people's stories in a 90 minute film or, well, what is that? 190. It was just one of those films. 110 minutes. They yeah, get so far, though. You think that they're going to be film. okay, but they're not. You know, it's kind of a letdown. Just like, fuck, well, can't one of them live? Well, I think, I mean, I, I, the problem basically is it's really hard to tell a story of 12 different individuals in a two hour time setting. Yeah. I know that. I mean, look at, I mean, look at Walking action, Dead. The I mean, they, they had difficulty getting one person's storyline um, through for about 12 seasons. <laughs> uh, my my roommate has the has the uh, the original DVD of, of, of the remake of Dawn of the Dead that came out. And that's what I threw in last night because I don't think it was streaming anywhere. And when I went into the bonus features, I found a, um, a like 20 minute uh, video diary that was uh, it's just the guy in the gun store. At the it's end, just, um, well, it's it's the it's um, I don't know if the, if it was going to be something that like was a supplement, like a supplementary video. Yeah, there's like the supplementary twenty minute thing. With the guy in the gun store just basically just talking into a camera, and it's like a little found footage thing. And I don't know if it was going to be edited in or what, but I found that was so gripping. And like, it's just twenty minutes of this guy talking into the camera, talking about what what's going on outside. Uh, about the guy uh, up on the roof, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. At one point, you see him grab a gun. He's like, "Hey, we, uh, uh, the the the, the cop the in the mall, and I found this little game. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to pick off the zombies." I'm like, "This was super cool." Like, I, I, I actually it. I think it was like, like the best part. Oh my I, god, I, he's I, the world's first TikToker. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> yeah. But he was one yeah, of the best parts of the movie, though. I mean, because he's all by himself, and you know, they're writing notes and letters, you know, holding up signs to each other from across the way. Obviously. They can't communicate. They send the dog over with food. The poor dog. I can handle anything. Like, don't send the dog. I'd rather see people die. I'm sorry. I'm just that way. And in a way, even though he, he, he doesn't speak a line until, you know, right before he dies, he has this sort of arc where at first he's like, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, we're not going to get any help on what else is new. But then by the end, you see him holding up, I'm hungry. And I'm like, yeah. shit, he has his own little arc where you really genuinely start to feel bad for this guy. Well, he's um, so isolated and so separate. You know, he's on yeah. an island unto himself, literally. Not that they're not on an island unto themselves. And it, it's it's kind of the... But the uh, other people have human contact where he has no human contact yeah. at all as well. So all, yeah, he's, going as well. 
he has the one thing that they could use, which is the guns, and he needs everything else that they have, the food, the the human contact. Um so yeah, it's it's kind of it, it's kind of an interesting little arc that he's got there too, and I, I really enjoyed that. I do think this film, if they didn't bring that truckload of people and that woman who looked like Carrie Ann into the mall, I think that basically this film probably would have been great. I agree. I, I think just so you thought that was just too much. I think that they brought those people in so that way we can have a higher. They wanted a high body count. And that's right. the only reason why they're there. And I think, and that has, and you know, that has a lot to do if you look at the horror movies of that time period, you know, the nineteen nineties to two thousands. It was all about how many bodies, how many people we can kill very quickly. You saw it like you know, you got to the point where even in Scream, even Scream Two, Scream Three, and at this point, it's like they were just adding people into this thing that really didn't make any sense, just so they can kill them off. You know, you know, basically, it's like you know. The whole, the whole remake of Stab, all those characters are being killed left, right, and center, and we got left with Parker Posey there for the end. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, and they were just there so they can kill them off, because so, you need something, you need to murder someone off every 10 to 15 minutes. I'm getting woozy here. <laughs> so, so, and I think, and I think that, I think that's probably where this film, I'd be interesting to know if, um, when James Gunn wrote this, was he forced into adding this stuff in? Because you got to remember, this is Dawn of the Dead. The original is, is basically an independent film, and this is a studio film. And so yeah. with a studio film, you do have things that you have to fit in. Sort of thing. You have to oh, this at. was. It was Toronto's Thornhill Square. You're right. I totally space shot of that one. It was right. scheduled to be demolished before the producers of the film jumped in and secured the property for filming. And we're giving full access to abandoned mall and extensive re-motivated re for the film. But a lot of the anchor stores did not want their, their they had some stores showing their logo and, and their name, but some of them, because of the violence of the movie, did not want their name shown. Did you guys catch the Julius? <laughs> did you guys catch the name of the uh, the high end uh, the high end clothing store that the women are in? I forget. The store is called Galen Ross. Uh, okay. Oh, I didn't uh, notice yeah. that. Oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> She's the only one that didn't show up, I think. So I guess this was kind of like their little tribute to her. There was a big stores back then. It was called Barbara Moss back in the day. But I don't even think that they would be here for that. They're closed since. So is maybe, it, yeah, it was definitely. Is Galen Ross not. proud of her work that she did in Dawn of the Dead, though? I think she's one of those people that I, 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 don't, I don't know. I can't see her do interviews or anything. She, uh, everything I see, like I see her comment on stuff because I, ha- I have a few mutual friends who have worked with her. I never really see her talk about her horror stuff because it's really just this and um, the slasher movie Madman. It right. came out like eighty one. That's like the only two movies that I think I know. I so she's know just her. into production and producing or uh, direction. She, or? Yeah, she's she just does, she, she does documentaries. Yeah, she does documentaries. documentaries. Okay, she's really successful at it. I want to say she's probably either won or been nominated for a couple of Oscars. Cool Let me just be sure here. I'm looking her up right now, Galen Ross. If I've watched any of her stuff. We watch a lot of documentary stuff. Um, Awards. I mean, the thing, oh, no, she's never that... won an Academy Award, but she's, yeah, she wins a lot of, she wins a lot of stuff for her documentary, film, uh, best documentary audience award at the, uh, for best documentary. 
from like every major film festival. So yeah, she's she's doing really well for herself. Fantastic. I, know, I, mean, I, I noticed I that she's not in any documentaries about Dawn of the Dead or George Romero. I never see her talk wow, about Oh, yeah. Well, she didn't has nothing like that. Well, they have come out, but I mean, she hasn't been behind any of that. But it's been like, but it's been like Alexander Mulkey from Dark Shadows. She right, doesn't really right. Talk about Dark Shadows. Well, she's a doc. She, she's a, uh, on another she's also winning document- awards. She's an acclaimed documentary maker as well. So I'm just kind of wondering maybe that she kind of like. Was she yeah, the Jonathan Fred documentary yeah. key? No. Was Alexander Moltke in the... Uh, she doesn't talk she about in, Dark Shadows. She wasn't in the Jonathan Thrid thing, so she... Yeah, did. she doesn't talk about Dark Shadows. She's a serious documentary filmmaker now. That's that's in the past. Yeah, well, I was just wondering. I couldn't remember if I saw her in the documentary that Mary had made or not. Well, they, a lot of them do that. That's why it's such a... Like, it's such a a sigh of release and rejoice when like Susan Sarandon embraces Rocky Horror because a lot of people of her caliber wouldn't do that. But what's well, you know, not to embrace is was positively fantastic. <laughs> well, well, it's like Renee Zellweger never mentions Leatherface, does she? No. Or Matthew McCauley. <laughs> or Viggo Mortensen. Oh, definitely Matthew McConaughey. No, I didn't even know or he Viggo was in Morrison. that movie until I found it and watched it because I couldn't yeah. find it anywhere. Yeah. So I mean, a lot of the actors they'll you know they'll do films and they'll, even though they have called status, they do not they will like you know they won't even acknowledge that they even did it. You know what I mean? Even though they are in it and everyone knows. That's about sad it. because some of it's just good, clean fun. I always say that, but it's yeah. like you started somewhere. You didn't just hit the bricks running towards an Oscar or Golden Globe or an Emmy or whatever. Yep, it's a bit it's a bit different nowadays. I mean a lot of actors yeah. today um, are you know not a lot of people now who are like established are going back into horror and they're bouncing back to T V and whatever. It's a bit different now, but there for a while. I mean it's just like well, you it, know. But it, it, obviously for video and D V D you could pretty much pretty much say, Oh, I didn't do that because the obvious a lot of stuff to see it again would be like Sort of like oh. Sylvester Stallone doesn't like talking about his porn Italian days. Stallion. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, they, they people were looking Italian down Italian. on those movies. People were looking down on those movies back then, so I could totally see that because it, it, especially if you're a star. In the case of McConaughey and Zellweger, they tried to actually stop the release of that Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No scene. wonder I couldn't find it anywhere. Oh, it's it's readily available it's now everywhere. Well, I found it finally, but I mean, it wasn't readily available. Really, it was hard to find. It's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of nipple piercing in that film. So, who got um, their nipple the best thing in it? Who? What happened? McConaughey is the best thing in it. He said. Yeah, oh, really? Yeah, he was. He's he's very good actor, though. I mean, I I've, I've pretty much enjoyed all of his movies. We, we also have to remember that if you made a horror film, that would that could stop your career from doing it from going any further. That people would yeah. hire you. Back this then, is true. Boy, I just it's hard to believe that such a well loved genre is such a taboo. I mean, and it's, a stigma. But it's, but it's only recently that Kevin Bacon's even talking about Friday Thirteenth, and Johnny Depp never mentions Nightmare on Elm Street. No, you know, no. It, it just it just dawned on me about six, seven years ago when I was watching Nightmare on M Street. That was Johnny Depp. You know, I mean, I was like that 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 short time ago. I did not know. I find myself yeah. doing that a lot now when I rewatch older movies, and I'm like, oh wait, I didn't realize that was that person. I think it's because back, if you saw Nightmare on Elm Street back when it first came out, 
you didn't know who the hell Johnny Depp was because nobody knew Not who the hell then. Johnny Depp was. But now was I find his, myself yeah. going back. Huh? You just you know, the, the funny yeah. thing about Nightmare on Elm Street is, is that I went to the opening of that because I I knew Heather Loggenkamp very well because she, she went to St. College. I went in, the, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. She was there when I was there before before she went off to do the film. She said she's going off to make this film. And we're like, yeah, uh, and then of course, you know. So she yeah, so we, the, the the grand opening was in New Orleans and Johnny Depp was there. And I mean, you know, we I sat next to him. And it was nobody. I mean, we knew, <laughs> it's like if I knew now what I knew then, it'd be different. But it's like, you know, he's just up there. He's just a moody person. Oh, was um, when I worked on uh, Tony and Tina's wedding as a uh, as a production assistant in like two thousand three. Um, uh, uh, Adrian Grandier. Uh, was you know nobody? He he was you know he was playing a minor role, and then while that movie was coming out, that's when Entourage came out, and suddenly he's just the biggest fucking star on the planet, yeah. just out of nowhere, and he's a guy that I was answering the phone and transferring over to, uh, how to, cool you know to the producer and uh um, what's his name John Bernthal was in that, and I met him a couple of times coming into the office, like the couple of days I worked into the office, he came in, and these people were you know they weren't anybody big. But then you you know, twenty Johnny, years later. The only thing I can remember about um, about Johnny Depp at, during that, I mean, it says it was an opening, and then there's uh, you know went out for drinks afterwards. It wasn't like anything huge. And all I remember thinking that he was very verity, and Heather going, um, Heather, I, like, and he always stood away from everyone. Um, he, and Heather goes, oh, he, goes, he thinks he thinks he's something special. Because well, he didn't hang out. Well, he didn't hang out with any of his staff because he, he was just he just he was doing that whole moody on the next James Dean kind of thing. Well, he was time. smart though when it came. He kept his nose clean for quite a while. That's what that saves you, I think, too. Um, no, he was quite lucky because he got in bed with t- uh, Tim Burton. That's what saved him. He did what? So, got in be- got, not no, in not bed. literally. Not literally. <laughs> well, that we know of. Well, we know, uh, but, uh, but the basically, Johnny Depp's, Johnny Depp's whole career is basically playing odd characters. Do you think Edward Scissorhands was the one that did it or prior? Well, oh, I mean, no, it was basically, it was basically John Waters taking a chance on Johnny Depp for Crybaby that kind of spun it. Do um, you guys like Crybaby? That, did you guys like it? I love Crybaby. You love Crybaby? I have seen it a long I'm time. A, I remember liking I'm it. I'm a John Waters fan, though. I love John Waters. It's so weird. You have to like it in a, in a straight. If you're into weird, it's definitely a good movie. Oh, it's got Hatchet. I love Hatchet Face in it. She's brilliant. Hatchet Face, and yeah. She's great. Stephen Terrell. Um, it's got Joe Delisaro De in it from the. You either Andy loved Warhol it. Or it was another of those movies, but you like, loved it or you hate it. Soundtrack. It's got, Pat, it got Pat, um, Patty um, um, Patty Hearst in it. <laughs> Only time watches about Patty Hearst in a film. <laughs> Fresh, fresh from her um, jailed um, uh, her Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> well, now that's a, that was about twenty years after the fact since the SLA incident. Yeah, because yeah, my baby was like 1990, 1991, uh, the, the Patty 19, Hearst. Nineteen eighty nine. Eighty nine. Hairspray was eighty six, and that was a that was the next. Well, didn't, didn't the Patty Hearst the SLA kidnapping and all that shit happen? Seventies, seventies, something like that. Yeah. The, the Patty, I know the Patty Hearst movie was out by, by the end of the 70s. There was a Patty Hearst movie out at that time. They had, I didn't know they had Patty Hearst in that. Right. Now I've got to fucking watch it again. Damn it. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah no, because Crybaby was, um, 
he just got out of um, doing 21 Jump Street. Then when did, when did your cousin go into 21 Jump Street takes place? Ah, that was, he. Johnny Depp was still on it, but I think Johnny Depp was on his way out. Yeah. Yeah, that's when they were pushing Richard Grieco. Yeah, he, they're pushing Richard Grieco that's now. Mickey's, that's Mickey's cousin. Well, we're all, oh, we're all relatives. We're all, ev- yeah. Italians are related to everybody, okay? <laughs> But, that, uh, that's how that's, Richard Grieco was your cousin. Yeah, that's how Mickey learned to pluck her eyebrows um, from him. Oh, <laughs> stop it. I never had I did the thin line for a while, okay? I he, don't, he, he had a lot. I hope he's not listening. But he had a lot work done. It's just like I didn't recognize him sometimes when he came home. I, other, other people said that that he, I, well, he, he was supposed he, to be. He was supposed to be the next best thing, but. He picked like two really Well, he did. I used to like his well, show. What was it? The, the, the mid 90s. He was doing Booker. I watched that. And yeah, I, I see that they're pushing, they're pushing a lot of stuff now with him in it. And he's dressed as a pirate. I don't know what's going on. I mean, we've all lost touch, all of us kids from school back in the day, relatives and whatnot and all that. But Vicky um, used to be the babysitter for Vigo Mortison as well. Who? Wait, really? Didn't you use the babysitter for Vigo? Didn't you use Vigo? Or no, Jill. It? Jill used to take care of his elderly mother before she passed away. Yeah, that was it. And she, she goes, look, she goes, do you want Vigo's Vigo, phone number? Vigo's I think from, I still Vigo's got from it our side of the phone. world. I was going to say, isn't Vigo Mortensen older than Vicky? <laughs> uh, no, his, his, his mother his was. His mother, his mother. I knew, he I lives I knew in Cape Vincent. He lives there. in the Thousand Islands. Everybody sees him back home. It's no big deal. People Vigo, run Vigo's from our side of the world. From our, yeah, but from he, our uh, he went to my high school and all that other stuff. I did uh, His mother was ill, and my, one of my best friends was taking care of people back then, and she had his mother, and he was just really just hard to work for, and she just told me all kinds of horrible stories about Vigo Morganster. Yeah, yeah. But well, I, I mean, mean I, I can see a couple people of getting... people that made well. That, that I mean, there's a couple of people still trying to break the confines of upstate New York. He he did like he did like our short film we made, so that was good. He did he yeah, did tweet, tweet about it once, so that was quite good. He, he liked can, our film we made. I can see if somebody's a caretaker for your mother being really difficult and being like, no, oh, yeah. I want to make But Jill was really I, good. Jill was the kind of person that would take your shit. But she has all of his movies signed and shit like that. You know, we say, can I have your movie collection? <laughs> like, you know. I'm just like, well. But I was trying to figure out, I probably need to ask because I, I don't know too many people back home anymore. I don't hang out with anybody. But they did show Richard, Richard was doing this thing with pirates. I don't know what's going on with that. Well, a lot of his he stuff were, now, I think he's doing a lot in the, a lot in the made-for-TV realm now, isn't he? Well, he was doing a lot for Hallmark kind of type films. Yeah. yeah. Things like that. <laughs> I think it's Hallmark. Yeah, Hallmark films. Yeah, he, he has another, he, but you know, you know, you made a big in Hallmark when you did when, you, when he, which he hasn't done yet. When you make a Christmas movie for that, <laughs> he hasn't done that yet. <laughs> oh, my my friend Katie, who's the um, she's the girl that gets cut in half in Terrifier. She oh started. My God, doing, I love that movie. <laughs> she started doing a couple of those Hallmark Christmas movies now, and a lot of those are old horror guys directing them and writing them. And well, they get, Sam and Irwin they make good, and they make good money off them as well. The Sam they does, do, Fredo and Ray does. Yeah. And they pay they pay their people good for those as well. They get really good paychecks for those. Yeah, I, would, I wouldn't yeah. spit at it right now. 
fill my well, I'm saying that it's better than like you know, like when they used to make TV movies, like on ABC, CBS. I know. Like, I guess you know, there's some kind of what is there some kind of shame? I guess people think. If well, it's not. It's not that they're ashamed to it, but that the, the pay the pay wasn't great. But Hallmark pays their, their for the Christmas movies because that's their big money maker. They pay those people very well. It's a good pay. What's the other Honestly, one? Hallmark. There's another. Uh, Lifetime. And, Lifetime. Uh, that's what Sam said he was doing. The, the thing is, like. I, I I never understood why people should like, dude, take the job. Yeah. And especially That's a Hallmark a Christmas movie, it's basically a template. If you watch them, they're all the, it's the they're same. They're all movie. the same. They're all the same. Um, Melissa Gilbert said that she does one Hallmark Christmas movie a year, and that pays her more than her salary for uh, one year in Little House in the Prairie doing one movie for Hallmark Christmas. There we go. Know, I mean, man. is that adjusted I, for inflation? By the way, I don't know. If, I don't know if I could do it, man. I got a reputation to uphold. I turned. I turned down twenty five grand once for the uh, the movie rights to uh, a taste of home from uh, a Bollywood producer. Bollywood. But Bollywood's good. I didn't. I didn't want my werewolf story yeah, told in Bollywood. Yeah. Well, Bollywood movies are starting to get big now. Yeah, too. they they seems- are, but. That's a that's a redneck werewolf story, man. It does not work in Bollywood. I tell you what, I yours you, I is thought, a redneck story. It needs to stay. I redneck. went to a Bolly, I went to a Bollywood version of Reservoir Dogs. What? <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, and then and get this. Uh, what's that movie with um, Identity with John Cusack? Right. Yeah, um, yeah. Because my ex, my ex was a Sikh, and his mom used to watch a lot. She watched Indian films. And I remember, like, she goes, oh, I got this new Indian film. And it was, I can't remember the Indian name for it. So I'm watching it. And it's like, like, oh, my God, this is a Bollywood version of Identity. And they, <laughs> they, they remake all the horror films in Bollywood. And the they make that. millions. But they make millions. Yeah, well, like, they, the were only off, they were only one, offered they, like, me 25 grand. So I, I turned it down. But, yeah. you know, I could have I could have knocked that off my bucket list, but I didn't. Well, the thing is, no one is ever going to see it except for in India. But I mean, like, like the Reservoir Dogs one. I was like, I mean, it's it's not great. I mean, it, you know, they start singing and dancing, and they're stirring the light bulb and patting the dog at the same I time. I see a lot of stuff coming dancing out of Indonesia now. There's but, a lot of um, Indonesian horror too. But the thing is, is like, I watched this, and it's like that film made two hundred million, like equivalent dollars or pounds or whatever. I was like, who the hell saw this? I've <laughs> seen that, you know. Because it, it shows in all the Middle Eastern countries and you know and all that stuff, and it's huge. And it's like how much money they make. They make more than any Hollywood picture does. It's like, it's like that. It's like made more than Titanic. It's like what? Which movie? <laughs> the big the world Hollywood version of Reservoir Dogs. No kidding. It made like two hundred. I think two hundred million in its opening weekend. There's a there's a movie. The movie theater that I go yeah. to regularly has uh, three or four screens showing Bollywood movies. So. Yeah. It, they are they are big business even here, <laughs> which is why I I hate that we have to kowtow to so many countries when we make our movies here. It's like, dude, just I get it that you not every movie needs to be made <coughs> for every single audience. No, and I think it actually hurts us. Even <coughs> to get China with their nose and everything, they're always trying to put the kibosh on stuff. Well, now I feel bad. Now I should have sold out. <laughs> I should have. I should have given the Chinese. You could have sold out. You could have sold out. No one would have known. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I could have. 
I don't know. I would have known. Though. I would have shit my I'm, pants. I'm my worst I'm, critic. If I'm watching a streaming channel, all of a sudden I see Taste of Home with a bunch of Indian people playing. What do we call, what we call, what do we call Taste of Home? What do we call it like Guja. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm at the point where I'm like, I'll take the job, whatever, whatever you, whatever you want to throw my way. Christmas, yeah, fuck, I'll write your fucking Christmas. I'll write your porno with the check clips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's I've written song. I've written song lyrics on some really cheesy stuff, and I'd be like, "Fine." Think about think Funny. about the number of pornos we've written already for free. I mean, you know, <laughs> we just didn't yeah, write yeah. it down. Uh, I'll, I'll write porno if I if it's gonna pay my bills. I don't care. I'll write it. I mean, I won't put my name to it, but I'll, you know, <laughs> pay me whatever. That's the thing, I'm man. like that. I'm like that anyway. It's like you know. I'm just like you know. I go. How much does that pay? I don't care. What, I don't care. So if there's the if there's yeah. any porn directors out there that want to make the porno version of a taste of home, I'm open. <laughs> <laughs> Bring furry gloves. Yes, lots of furry gloves. <laughs> go for it. So on that note, let's, <laughs> let's rate 2004 Dawn of the Dead, starting with you, Chad. What, what, what are you going to do? How many, how well, many if, I, if I'm going to this, if I'm going to if I'm going to give the original five, uh, I, I've I mean this this is still a good film. It's a good film. It is. And I'm I'm going to have to knock it down a couple of steps though, just just for the, for the whole the modern. Well, I still think it's 2004. Sometimes it's not. It's 2022. Uh, but that more modern aspect of it, it's it's not necessarily a remake other than the name. Like a remake, though. Yeah. No. Other than the name and the fact they go to a mall, it's not necessarily a remake. A lot of explosions, a lot of actions, some really good special effects, really good makeup and stuff like that. For I'll give this one, sex, I guess. Yeah. We'll, we'll give it four <laughs> out of five. Four out of five. It could have used more boobs. <laughs> what about you, Joe? I, I'm in the same boat, like three, you know, like somewhere between three and four, because it's it like like Chad said, it's if you divorce it from the original Dawn of the exactly. Dead, it's fine. And if um like the my, the only drawback I had is I watched it literally the night after I watched the original, and the original I think is so fucking perfect. It is hard watching them back to back. I'll give you that. that. Yeah, this one pales in comparison, but on its own, it's, it's okay. Movie, lots of action. Um. Yeah, if you're, it's two completely different movies. The first one is more more of a horror movie with a social commentary. This is kind of like an action horror. Yeah, uh, it's like shoot 'em up Rambo kind of gunplay. In a way, that. yeah. So they're two completely different movies. Rambo um, goes so, to the mall. <laughs> in a way, in a way, yeah. So that yeah, they're two different movies. So yeah, you get there's totally, totally a. Uh, you know, oh God, I'm starting to sound like PJ Souls in Halloween. Totally, totally. Um, it, both are both are good. Watch, watch them both. I say definitely see both of them. Um, if you divorce the idea that this is a Dawn of the Dead remake, you're going to enjoy it even more. I just don't so, even think of it as a Dawn of the Dead remake when I watch it. I don't. I just just so totally different. They that's that's the that's the biggest thing that I'm going to tell them. At, you know that I'm going to say right now, kudos to them is they could have made this a, um, you Romero know, a, a extravaganza. 
They could have made a copy-paste job, and they didn't. They did their own thing, and you know what? Good for them for doing it. Because, um, uh, yeah, it, it works a lot better than if they would have just tried to redo the whole thing again. Gotcha. I agree with that. And what do you say, Vix? What do you rate it? I give it a four just because I could have used a little more storyline in it. But um, it, it, it was a, a tad bit disorganized when it comes to the story, but I guess all of these movies are just helter skelter running around killing, you know, zombies and trying to survive. But I didn't really, I've never really thought of this as Dawn of the Dead, like George Romero's Dawn of the Dead. So I guess I've already achieved that, which I was talking about and totally divorced one from the other. And because it's really a totally different movie. I just think it's a lot of fun. So, I mean, I wouldn't put it down too much. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch and there's really, you know, a good, the ending's kind of sucking, but other than that, it was a good movie. I'm gonna give it four. Um, I a lot of it I like a lot. I like um, I, I like the I like I like the acting. You know, I'll give the acting kudos as well for this. Sarah Pauly, if she wasn't in it, I'd probably give it less. But I love Sarah Pauly. I'm a huge fan of hers, and it was good to see her in a mainstream film for once. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I'll give this a four. Um, and I think that if you're gonna make a remake of any kind of film, I think this is the way to do it. That basically, you know, I think that sometimes if you do do a, a direct remake to something, it does suffer. Where I think this this way, this kind of balances off the original, but it keeps the original as its own thing, and then make and then you have your remake as its own product within itself as well. So, so yeah, I'm gonna give this a four. That brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast. Next week will be the 80s. We'll be discussing Night of the Creeps and Night of the Comet. And, of course, we'll be considering our, continuing on with our Dark Shadows. Now, next month, our book to screen will be Battle Royale, the classic Japanese written by Takami, which is the only book he's written. And it, uh, the book has sold more copies than the Bible. And, of course, we'll be covering the, uh, the original Japanese film Battle Royale as well. And, of course, our next Make Remake will be something totally out of our horror realm. We'll be covering La Cage au Fou, the French film, and the American remake, The Birdcage. So, it's good night for myself, and good night, Chad, and thank you for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me once again. Cool beans. <laughs> good night, Joe. Good night, everyone. Good night, Vicky. Good night, everybody. And we'll be seeing you next week for the 80s for Night of the Comic and Night of the Yeah.
Come on, get 